welcome to The Long Take Review, a film podcast with one eye always on the Oscars. I'm your host, Jen Subtraction Bankard, and I'm here with the only one capable of seeing the only way, P.T. McNiff. How's it going, P.T.? Jen, I'm the living manifestation of destiny, and I have made this podcast my mission. <laughs> I forgot wow. that was the line. Uh, um... That's great. I like. I really love that we with this bit. I don't know what you're going to say because it really it's a joy. <laughs> I don't put it in the Google Doc. I have a separate document almost exclusively for what the quotes. <laughs> and I also like that when we did the Dial of Destiny, uh, poor Jim Clemens was not aware that Greg and I do this, and he was just like, "I don't approve of this, and I would not do yeah, it, even if I did he wasn't know." Into it. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. It's okay. Um, no, he's he's probably right. No, I like it. Uh, all right. Our mission today, if you haven't figured it out, should we choose to accept it, we're going to accept it, spoilers, yeah. uh, is to look back at all the past Mission Impossible films in anticipation of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Hopefully I got all of that, uh, which zip lines into theaters this week. So I'm actually going to see this tomorrow night. PT's going to see it later in the week, I think. Did you say? I'm going Friday. My summer class ends Friday at 3.30. I'm in the theater at 5. Yes. It's a great way to celebrate. It is. So because this is a retrospective episode, like sort of to get get us hyped for a new movie, we're going to issue a spoiler warning right at the top. We're not going to keep any state secrets. We're going to discuss all of the films in this franchise. There are six. So if you don't want one of them spoiled, maybe go do a full rewatch and then come back. Or all, not rewatch. All the packages are out in the open. Packages on the open. Packages on the plane. Uh, Packages in the wind. Yes. I I feel like they use the phrase out in the open in a way that now I'm never going to be able to hear that phrase the same way again after having watched all of these movies now. Um, But yeah, so let's get let's get into it because we already have. PT, what's your history with these movies with the Mission Impossible franchise? Well, I mean, I will. I'm I'm all the way back to opening weekend of Mission Impossible, the original movie. I I would also say I'm a little. I I predate with the franchise before the movies even came out. Um, I I don't know if I ever really watched the TV series. That feels like a Nick at Night TV Land kind of thing that they would sometimes have the '60s and early '70s series. And there was a reboot in the '80s that. It uh, wasn't on for too long, but that it feels like something I would have been like, that looks interesting. And then I'd watch it and find it boring, kind of like the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. I'd be like, this is a great idea that I don't like because uh, I'm 10 and this is to not engaging enough for me. But uh, as linked in our in our document, I did um, own and, and consistently play the Mission Impossible NES game, uh, which came out in 1990 and was like a top-down uh sort of sort of like smash tv uh or or um to bring it back to the podcast sort of like that scene in john wick chapter four with the um uh exploding shotgun oh, right, yeah. thing. uh it was set up like that and you were had to like go and like hack things and like break into systems and you could you switch between three different members of the imf team from the tv show um so i love that i loved any sort of spy craft uh, Nintendo games, which were uh, obviously not very complex because they were Nintendo, but um, those really worked for me. So when they were like, they're making a, a movie, I was like, great, I love it. Um, and saw the first movie in the theater, had a great time. 
uh, I don't want to give away how I feel about uh, the other movies. The only one I didn't see in the theater was Mission Impossible 3 because that was really like that came out right at the peak of Tom Cruise backlash, which I think we'll get into maybe. Uh, and it just sort of felt like like it, these are over. It's been a decade since the the first one and this is the third one. And I feel like even though the reviews like in retrospect were kind of good, I just remember the like it didn't no one I know wanted to go and no one was like interested. No one like, I feel like if anyone had like pushed me a little bit, I would have like easily gone, but like no one did. So I didn't see that. Um, but then the last three, I mean, opening weekend, I've been there for each of them and had a great time. How about you, Jen? What's, what's your uh, extended history with the mission impossible movies? I have a, I have a small question based on the movie, the poster for the video game that you, that the link you put in the Google doc and I opened sure. it, I'm looking at it now. So Emilio Estevez looks like he's on the front of this. It, that's the thing. It's not Emilio Estevez. That's I think I don't know. This if predates the, the movie. I don't know if those are actors from the '80s TV show. Like Peter oh. Graves is definitely there, and he was the only actor from the original show who carried into the '80s show. Um, people uh, listening may know him as the pilot from Airplane. Uh, that's that's how I I oh, that's know right. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so he's definitely there. So I'm assuming the other representations are the actors whose names I don't recognize from the 80s show. So but then it maybe... looks so much like Emilio Estevez it that really does. when they were like, I mean, I don't know if I've fully connected it, but I was like, well, yeah, Emilio Estevez being in Mission Impossible makes a ton of sense. He was on the cover of the, the <laughs> Nintendo game. So that that's fine. Um, which just, you know, only since we've already issued the spoiler warning, um, uh, the, the, the everyone's... Uh, uh, message self-destructed so they they have no choice when when he is killed almost immediately in the in mission impossible it was an even bigger twist for me thanks to the shady artwork for an nes game that, but now that now i'm thinking like now i want to go look up is what maybe he was in he was he could have in theory been in the sequel series in the 80s right I mean, he he wasn't a main character because I did look at the cast list for it oh. i was like did any because if you look at the cast list for the original series like it, it's not nothing. It's Le Leonard Nimoy is on it for like three or four years post Spock. Like Star Trek ended and he went right to Mission Impossible. Um, what? Leslie Ann Warren, who's Miss Scarlet in Clue, is on it for a season. Uh, the main guy for the um, the first year, or like one of the main guys, um, is the old DA from Law and Order in the in the nineties. Um, and Martin Landau is on it. I think the whole time. Like he's just in it forever. So there's, it's like a lot of people came out of Mission Impossible, the first one. Um, that is not true of the cast for the second series. All due respect um, to all those people who are, I'm sure worked very hard, uh, but they uh, do not have recognizable names after uh, uh, in the uh, in 2023. Uh, and um, and none of them say Emilio Estevez. So I, I don't think he was on it. I think okay. it's just happenstance. That's so weird. Anyway, so I mean, my my confusion probably is an indicator that I don't have much of a history with the origins or this franchise in general. So I remember seeing Mission Impossible 1, so the movie, the first movie with Tom Cruise. I think it was pretty soon after it had come out, which we, I don't know if we've mentioned it was 1996. So the, the original first original um, Mission Impossible movie was 1996 which I didn't remember at all. And when I went to go back to rewatch it, I was just like, whoa, 90s. <laughs> this is very 90s. <laughs> uh, but but I had seen that movie relatively soon after it came out. I don't think I saw it in theaters. I was 13 at the time. 
I think I remember my dad was sort of like a big influence on my my movie early movie watching. He he loves martial arts films and action films and he loves uh st- basically the uh expend is it the expendables that franchise mm-hmm. with like every single major action yes. star from like that's made for him basically like those are all his people nice. um <laughs> so uh so that's all i watched when i was a kid basically it was like you know the you know sneaking onto the couch when not sneaking behind the couch. When I was 13, I think I made it in front of the couch okay. at this point. Because when we when we talked about Indiana Jones, Temple of Dune was I was I had to watch part of that from behind the couch mm-hmm, on the on the on the, uh, the DL. But but this I remember watching with like with my dad in our house. Like we probably rented it from a Blockbuster <laughs> or something like that on a Friday night. Um, and so I remember seeing this first movie, and I remember being pretty blown away by it. Like the 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 twist that John Voight's character Phelps is actually the bad guy. I remember mm-hmm. being like shocked. I do remember as a 13 year old being like, this is a very convoluted plot. Like I'm not totally sure I was with it the whole time, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I liked it, but I was into it. And, and then that's it. Like I basically never watched any of any of the other movies at all uh, until you and Greg we're like, you've been sleeping on this. Where have you been? Like, you got to get on this. So I have done, I've now watched all six movies. Huge. Most of them I've seen the past week. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I think three. Well, wait, no, that's not. Sh- I would actually maybe even say most of them I've seen in the past, like, four days. <laughs> three and three quarters of them you've watched over this past weekend. We're yes. recording on a Monday. Yeah, yeah. So I watched... Yeah, I managed to watch uh, four, five, and six over the weekend. I watched, went back and rewatched one this morning, finished watching two. And three was the one that I had started with way back when you and Greg were hassling mm-hmm. me about this. So that was a couple months ago. So, like, you know, Has- averaging, <laughs> it averages <laughs> out, but it's a pretty recent watch uh, that I've just kind of blown through all of these movies. And I have to say, it's been great. It's been really fun. <laughs> I, I mean, really enjoyed I, it. I get it now. I'm, I'm glad because I would feel really bad if you were like, eh. Like, you know, so we, we scheduled a recording and you were just sort of like, uh, I don't know, C+. Okay, that's all I got. Thanks thanks for listening. You can find me at uh, Instagram. At, um, so, yeah, that's uh, a good. I'm glad that you that you liked it. I'm sorry that we um, we hassled you. I think that there was some... My memory might be there was some surprise at the drafting of Mission Impossible, Mission Colon Impossible, um, Dash, uh, Dead Reckoning, comma, part one, uh, in our most anticipated movies. And you were just like, I don't know. And it was like- no, I had zero anticipation because I had no reason to anticipate it. Right. And then and then Greg got onto it and was just like, no, no, you, you should do that. Uh, and then to encourage you, I don't think this is uh, overly uh, uh, oversharing. We can cut it out if it is. Uh, over text, he did. Uh, he can't join us because he's traveling uh, in London. And he, uh, but he sent text. Uh, he texted us photos he took of various locations that uh, are in London where Mission Impossible scenes were filmed, which uh, do, do credit him on that. So he, I love he was so committed to it that he even like framed them so they would match the composition yeah. of the some of the shots. It's great. 
Great work, Greg. Yeah, no, he knows uh, the he's, answer. Yeah, he needed, he needed to throw down his cred, even though he couldn't be here. <laughs> so, he, so he traveled to a foreign country and took a bunch of photos. Very, very Ethan Hunt move, yeah. I have to be honest. Um, it's good stuff. It's been a whirlwind, but I've really enjoyed it. I'm really happy that I have now filled in this blind spot in my movie viewing. And in retrospect, I'm like, why? I, I was the whole time I was watching all these movies. I was trying to think, why did I not watch any of these? Like, why did I just not take the initiative, show any interest? Was it really just that, like, I missed one and then they just kind of piled up and I was like, oh, well, I have to go back and watch the earlier ones before I watch this one. And then that kind of snowballed into me never watching any mm. of them. It could That could be it. But also, I feel like I'm a huge James Bond fan. Less so, it's cooled a little bit in this phase of my life. But I feel like, you know, I had a Tomorrow Never Dies poster on my wall in college. Like, I, I was a big, I was a big Bond fan. It is a great movie. Yeah, see, like, I knew Michelle Yeoh had the stuff even back then. Um, and and so maybe that's what it was, was I was like, oh, like, I this seems like a not as good, mm. I don't know why I thought that, not as good American version of James Bond. And so, like, I don't need to watch these. Like, I, I feel like that might have been the, ra- like, the subconscious rationale. I could see that there is also like there's always kind of a gap in between these movies, so it's not it's always sort of like it's, yeah I guess those are movies like if you're not watching them and or looking forward to them they just sort of came out like a bunch of years ago, so they don't feel like I don't know as as present uh, if you're if you're not up on them and rewatching them every uh, every twelve to eighteen months like you know smart people are um, but. Uh, uh, I mean, what's your, wh- where are you on Tom Cruise? Like in general? I'm right now pretty pro Tom Cruise. Okay. I mean, I think Top Gun Maverick had a big part in that to be like, cause I, because I didn't have these movies in my right. consciousness. Right. I didn't have the like, Oh, Tom Cruise has still got it. He's going, he's doing crazy stunts. Right. He's still being a charismatic movie star. Like, cause I hadn't seen any of these movies until recently. I feel like, Top Gun Maverick was kind of my go-to. And I don't know, like, yeah, I think there was a period where I was like, oh, what's going on with Tom Cruise? Like, this seems <laughs> well, weird. That's what I'm wondering if, like, being Maybe cool that's what it was? To, yeah, being cool or indifferent to Tom Cruise would be like, well, I'm not going to go see these movies that every poster is just his face. Uh, and, you know, it's it's his franchise and he's always coming back. That, like, you know, if you're not into him that or or you're actively like against him which i think we again we may discuss there's reasons to feel that way then uh you know why why would uh why would you feel compelled uh to yeah. go to go check it out but, i feel um, like my my tom cruise viewing dropped off probably after jerry Maguire. i want to say because hmm. then then it's just like a black hole like i don't know i can't remember any movies after that but i will say that one of my favorite movies when i was i don't remember how old it was younger far and away his movie the, the immigrant irish immigrant movie with nicole kidman oh i mean just impeccable accent work from both of them in that movie i didn't know that as like a 12 year old come on like <laughs> i wasn't attuned to accents um but i don't know yeah my my uh, i've never seen that movie the only review i i have uh, of that was my uh, one of my grandfathers and his nephew, my mom's cousin, uh, who was obviously younger, but they were both kind of fuddy-duddy older men. 
uh, went to go see it because it was about the old country uh, and had, I don't think neither of them had gone to the movies in like 20 years at that point. But that's what got uh, them to And go. they were not ready for like, I think like Nicole Kidman gets naked and there's like, I mean, there, there's like, there's some sort of sex scene and they were like appalled that like this was in like available mass entertainment. They were like, it's, it's just pornography in the theater. Um, and I, I don't know if like, that's funny. I don't remember. I was like 14 and I was like, okay. Um, I was like, I don't really want to hear you guys talk about this. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's all I know about that movie is I've, I, remember, I remember seeing the trailer and even the trailer being like, these are not good Irish accents. This is an age difference thing. Uh, and then um, my grandfather didn't like it because it was too racy. Uh, and... <laughs> that's i've never been compelled to watch it but now that i know that was your favorite maybe i'll maybe i'll go back it was really good i so so that's the influence of my mom so my dad was there for me with the action the action movie blockbusters and you know like we we watched uh chuck Nor whatever walker texas ranger we still sure. watch that show all the time and like whenever sammo hung had a spin-off show after that that was a big part oh, of yeah, our yeah, that's right. viewing and then all the Jackie Chan movies and every movie Arnold Schwarzenegger's been in and Jean-Claude Van Damme. Like, I mean, these are, this is all good stuff. I don't know. Okay, there's no, my, there are no problems what, here. That was what my dad gifted me in terms of my movie formation. And then my mom gave me all the Westerns and the old Hollywood musicals. And Ooh. like, she's, she's a huge John Wayne fan. And I feel like far and away was part of the, like her like frontier sure movies, that makes sense kind of like um yeah and that's why I, it's funny i don't remember any of the raciness from the movie i just remember there's a scene where they're like someone's playing a fiddle and they're like dancing <laughs> like river dancing basically that, that, that may be enough like i again i honestly don't know <laughs> but like they just didn't expect it or at least my grandfather didn't right. expect it but that uh, seems like such a bygone era because that was when Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman were like a double billing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and that that was so long ago. So, anyway, we've so, gone off on a huge tangent. Well, we have, but I, I think I, I think that since we're we're already sort of in this area, I wouldn't mind like tapping into a little bit of like the Tom Cruise arc because right. I do think that his that's persona as a as celebrity and a movie star, I think, has huge bearing on this franchise and these. It movies. does, and this is also like his baby and has been i mean again it's not i mean it, it's a it's a, a property that existed in the past but like he was the one that was like oh this movie studio has the rights to mission impossible i love mission impossible the story of this franchise is littered with stories of tom cruise binging something and then that influencing what's going to happen. So he like he's like I just used to watch the Mission Impossible movies all the time, or TV shows. Like just I, I used to watch that uh, and just tape it and just watch them over and over again. And so uh, when he heard that they were available, he was like, "I'm going to do this." It was the first movie that he produced with the production company that he formed with his agent, and it was like his thing. And like he handpicked the director uh and did did all the like development he had approval over the script and everything um so yeah i mean it's his baby and he's uh kept going forward so i think yeah his sort of uh arc i do i do think kind of plays into it um so i mean he has and i think full... i read somewhere that he wanted to do this partly so he could have control over his own career like it was like a yeah. very calculated move on his part to be like if i'm a producer on this and I'm, I star in it, right? Then I, it's my show. Right. 
Uh, and yeah, he can he can sort of have final say on how he looks and and uh, the the effectiveness of it. Uh, and there's a lot you can say about Tom Cruise, but like the man, he's a showman. Like he's like I want to put on a show, and at least in terms of these movies, he's he's really good at it. Uh, it's it's you you almost you almost don't want to hand it to him, but but I have to. Uh, so he's got like he starts in the early '80s. And uh, he's got like a, a couple of years. I mean, it's this his filmography is crazy. He he's got two movies before The Outsiders, which I feel like I mean, he's not like the lead or anything, but he's in The Outsiders. Oh wow! As uh, one of the people, and then later that same year is Risky Business, uh, which I mean, I think is it's certainly the initial star making turn. He's uh, you know early twenties. He's twenty. I think he's twenty when Risky Business comes out. Uh, he only, you know, two years after that is legend and then it's Top Gun, uh, and it's, he's off to the races. Um, and so he has this sort of like, it's not exactly like a one for them, one for me, but he sort of has like this very, uh, calculating sounds negative, but I think like a very, it seems smart approach to like strategic? what he wants to do. Strategic. That sounds pretty good. Although also that there's a little menace, I feel like, behind the word strategic. Um, but, you know, he's doing like, this is a movie that will be big and popular, like Top Gun or Cocktail or Days of Thunder. But then he also like is alternating those with, this is a movie with a director that has a lot of cachet and respect. So he does Color of Money with Martin Scorsese and Rain Man with Barry Levinson and Born on the Fourth of July with Oliver Stone. Um, Far and Away with your your boy, Ron Howard. Um, oh, that's right. I forgot that was a Ron Howard movie. It's a Ron Howard joint. Um, uh, and then I mean, then it starts to get like they're intersecting because it's like A Few Good Men is like the, the like tail end of Rob Reiner's peak of like every movie he does is great. Uh, and uh, you know, the Aaron Sorkin screenplay, but like that's also popular. The Firm is a popular movie, um, but it's also a Sidney Pollack, uh, you know, directed that. So he's he's like, I'm I'm acting, I'm working with directors, I'm trying to get like successful movies with big filmmakers, um, and that uh, you know that carries him into uh, he does Interview with a Vampire, uh, which is Neil Jordan at sort of close to the peak of Neil Jordan's power as a director post the crying game uh, and uh, you know, a, a big book uh, franchise IP, how they would not describe it back then. Um, and then like from all of that is when he's like, I'm going to form uh, a production company. And uh, the first thing he's going to do is a mission impossible movie. And the same year he does the first mission impossible. He's also in Cameron Crowe's Jerry Maguire, uh, a movie that's pretty good that people really like. And it's uh, and including me. I, I don't mean to say that like uh, I was being like facetious. those other people. Pretty good. Um, no, it's it's a very good movie. Uh, and uh, so yeah, so it's this it's this like you know I'm, he's like I'm starting a franchise. I'm still doing this director thing. Then, then things get weird for Tom Cruise. Uh, two things happen according to his Wikipedia page. Now Wikipedia is it the best source? Uh, uh, what is it? The rhetorical situation. Um, listen, listen, kids, don't directly cite Wikipedia. You should go and find the original source. I didn't do that. I just looked at the Wikipedia page. Um, but in deep in Tom Cruise's Wikipedia page is something I'd never heard before, which is in the mid nineties, he was like, I'm going to leave Scientology. Uh, so he had become a Scientologist in the late eighties and in the mid nineties, uh, allegedly, 
according to some book, some insider book, um, in the mid nineties was when he was told. So the secret of Scientology is there's aliens. And he was like, okay, goodbye. Uh, and he went to London with his wife, Nicole Kidman, and he spent over two years making Eyes Wide Shut with Stanley Kubrick uh, and was away from Scientology and was just in a movie about a, uh, with his wife about a marriage that's completely falling apart uh, and just filming these scenes over and over and over and over and over again for Stanley Kubrick. Um, and then when he came back, the sub people from Scientology had gone to visit him and talk to him and he came back and he's like, I'm tripling down on Scientology. And Nicole Kidman was like, well, I'm out uh, and left. And uh, so that's sort of a turn. He was still, uh, still was doing, you know, again, it took three years from Jerry Maguire for Eyes Wide Shut to come out. Magnolia comes out the same year, um, which is, uh, you know, uh, another very prominent performance. He's doing a supporting role. Um, we'll talk later, gets an Oscar nom for it. Uh, and then he's like, okay, Mission Impossible 2, which we'll discuss whether, how that movie turned out, but he's working with John Woo uh, and, uh, you know, there's there's a lot to say about that. Um, and then... And that's like, in 2000, just to keep keep track yeah, of this timeline. Sorry, we're, we're in 2000. And then um, the first half of the 2000s, he's kind of keeping on with what he's been doing. He's got another Cameron Crowe movie in Vanilla Sky. He works with Spielberg in Minority Report. Uh, he does like a couple of joke things. Uh, he's in Austin Powers um, as... I guess that's the one big joke thing. Uh, then... Um, a Michael Mann movie in Collateral. Um, he works with a director named Edward Zwick, who has done done some things for The Last Samurai. That felt like another sort of Cruz Wagner production, um, which you know we we can discuss the potential issues of like The Last Samurai, white guy Tom Cruise. Um, that even in two thousand three, that wasn't that wasn't landing very well. Um, but yeah, Michael Mann uh, in Collateral, and he Spielberg again for War of the Worlds. Then things get weird. This is then in 2005. Again. Well, with War of the Worlds, the, it's the promotion for that is when he's like, I'm dating Katie Holmes and I'm totally in love with her. I'm jumping on couches on Oprah and I'm super excited. And it's like, for some reason, the promotion for War of the Worlds is when a bunch of the media is like, so you're a Scientologist. Like, you're really against like psychiatry, huh? And he's like, oh yeah, I, I hate it. Uh, and he, like every interview gets derailed with people being like, so why do you think like your friend Brooke Shields shouldn't have taken any depressants? And he's like, it's because they destroy your mind. Like only Scientology is the way to fix any mental health problems. And like things are like fall apart. The, uh, Viacom, uh, pulls its funding from his production company. Uh, there's like, a, I think a bunch of projects that sort of fall apart and his career really shifts where Mission Impossible 3 comes out. And again, this is sort of my history of it was like, Tom Cruise is crazy. Like you can't, you can't support him and his wacky uh, uh, beliefs about things. Um, it's like not unsuccessful, but not as successful. Uh, I think it's the least successful of the, uh, of the six movies. Um, and then it's kind of like he lays low for a little while. He does like a supporting role in a Robert Redford movie. His move was sort of uh, to to be in Tropic Thunder in a under a bunch of makeup in a in a, tr a true comedy role, which was very it's a, a winner move because people were like, oh yeah, Tom Cruise, like he can do something really different. And then he starts sort of attaching himself to a few people 
uh, starting with uh, Valkyrie in 2008, which uh, was written by Christopher McQuarrie. And Christopher McQuarrie sort of becomes like his guy. Uh, he's like, this is going to be one of my guys. Uh, and then you know, from that, he kind of gets a couple other directors, uh, Doug Lyman, uh, who does Edge of Tomorrow and American Made with um, in the 20 teens uh, and Joseph Kaczynski. Is that his name? Uh, yeah, the Top Joseph, Gun Maverick guy, right? Yes. Who also did Oblivion, uh, which is a sci-fi movie from 2013. Um, and every movie, so basically every movie he's done since Ghost Protocol has one of those three guys, if not multiple of them working on it. And he sort of is like, I'm recentering myself on this version of like, I'm Tom Cruise movie star. He's kind of not really acting anymore. Like he's sort of just like a very charismatic stuntman who does like these big, like actiony movies in like these big settings. And that's maybe underselling the performances he's giving in them. But it's just interesting to sort of like, he he's coming up, he does a stretch of, like, I'm going to work with the biggest directors possible. I don't want to work with, like, all the big people. And now he's like, I'm just working with my guys. And, like, I can work with them. I know, like, we know how to communicate with each other. Whatever that means, it doesn't seem like any of those guys have to, like, bow to his will necessarily. But I guess, like, whatever his idiosyncrasies are, he's like, I know I can work with these people. Right. They can so collaborate successfully. Right. Um, so that was probably too long uh, an overview of Tom that's, Cruise's career. That's fascinating, though, because so much of the, especially the kind of bumps in the road that you talked about along the way, I feel like none of that is part of the current discourse when we talk about Tom Cruise. Right. And so it's fat from a PR perspective alone, he's a fascinating case study because somehow he managed to like bounce back and just like men in black, like flashy thing for all of us right so now now all we remember is the really good mission impossible movies and the fact that he has saved the theatrical experience and is somehow single-handedly the savior of movie theaters right (laughs) and now he's posting like i'll see you at the movies right and that he's very in favor of he was very in favor of uh, COVID uh, protocols and people should follow them, um, right? Because uh, you know he got he was yelling at people who were not doing that on uh, on the on the, the set of the upcoming Mission Impossible movie. Yeah, and I feel like there's only been more and more uh, exposés and and investigations and revelations around the Church of Scientology and. It's it's always clear in those where it's like, and one of their like biggest assets is Tom Cruise. He's not just like a famous person who is like, I love being a Scientologist. He's like, he goes and has gone and lobbied governments in Europe and in America, the, in the United States to be like, you need to make sure you acknowledge this as a religion, give them tax exempt status, like get a bunch of benefits for them. Like, and he has allegedly a lot of people in there like, enslavement organization the sea org that work for him at his uh mansions uh and like he'll just be like i want a new motorcycle and like someone who gets who has signed a million year contract who gets paid no dollars a day has to go out and like get him a motorcycle um so like he benefits greatly from this organization and like the the stories about the organization are not good um but it's he makes really good mission impossible movies so it's just like cool man like yeah, that's weird. Like you're very weird. I don't know, but guess what? The, we the, love these movies. Your, your your planes go zoom, 
and and your motorcycles go vroom and your legs go chug 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 and we're we're super happy uh, and he does uh, death design defying stunts on yeah. his own at the age of like 60 whatever right um i feel like that's a big part of the story too i think i i went back and i listened to the film cast uh review i didn't get through all of it um of fallout mm-hmm. you know which was a while ago right this is 2018 and ago. they they were like every single interview we've listened to and read indicates that tom cruise obsessively wants to make sure everyone knows that's him doing all those crazy stunts yes right he makes a point to like and like i think this is like david i think to cite to be specific with my citation i think it was david chen saying that in a in an interview with chris mcquarrie that he had read mcquarrie was like yeah he's very particular about like he, we need to have a close-up so we can see his face so you know it's him you know it's mm-hmm. not a stunt man switcheroo right right and that it's it's like that he's he's very like and adamant about like no they have to know it's me uh <laughs> to the point where it dictates sort of like the camera work in a lot of scenes um right. so i feel like that's also a part of the thing he's now become known for the the crazy actor movie the crazy movie star the last movie star who's still willing to like do his own stunts and defy death at every turn very much like in a way that echoes ethan hunt as a character Mm -hmm. because there's now i'm not gonna remember maybe you can help me i'm not gonna these all bleed together because i watched them all all back to back (laughs) they didn't make six movies so much as they made one 12-hour movie um right so there maybe it's mission impossible too because that was the one that i watched the most recently I think Ambrose, the villain in that, says something like, "like like there's a whole sequence where his voiceover is basically exposition for the the mission, mm-hmm. and he's like, because he's he's it's showing that he he can predict everything that Ethan Hunt's gonna do, and right. he says something like, and he's gonna do some crazy thing where he jumps out of an airplane, and like and like risks his own life, like like it's and it's like very much a meta commentary also about Tom Cruise. I feel right. like." Which is Mission Impossible too? Like right. that's early so even then. in it, but yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, the 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 sort of write ups of the first movie are you know Cruz being like, and then we you know we're setting it up, and then I'm supposed to be replaced by a stuntman, and I'm like, no, like when like they dumped like a uh, eighty gallons of water on him from an, uh, what's supposed to be like an exploding fish tank, like. The director was like, he could have drowned, but like he wanted to do it. So we just did it and sprayed a bunch of water on him. And they, you know, I don't think they actually had him on a moving train, but they did have a machine blowing like 90 mile an hour winds on uh, on him. So, yeah, that was all the way back in the second movie, in Mission Impossible 2. And, you know that's that's early enough in in the franchise and certainly sort of in the middle uh, and before he was having the you know that that trajectory of sort of shunning from society so you know that was always part of what he did was i'm i'm the person doing all these stunts from the even from the first movie uh, but now it's so core to his movie star persona and also central to the sort of selling point of these movies is that like it's you know death defying stunts and amazing action and like what crazy set pieces there are that you know that's what these are sold on um that's why they're successful you know top gun maverick was similar of like they're really up in the planes uh and you'll see them in the planes it's not just like they're sitting in front of a blue screen somewhere like they're really doing this and you know the movies that he's made in the last 
10 years, maybe even 15 years that don't have that element have not really been successful. Your you know, Oblivion, Edge of Tomorrow, The Mummy, and American Made. I mean, these are, you know, some of those are good movies. Some of them are also The Mummy. Uh, and there's, uh, you know, there's, there's certain reasons, many reasons why they could have not been successful. But I do think that like, people are like, I'm here for Tom Cruise. If it's possible, he could die making this movie for me. No, yeah, I think, and I think you've really, you've really pinpointed it, and that that's what has made this franchise stand out, at least in the discourse, current discourse on movies and kind of what the state of movie, the movie industry is right now. Right, that like Tom Cruise and in through the Mission Impossible franchise is doing something that nobody else is doing. He's kind of going against the grain, right? The the trend is like, oh, we have all this technology, let's use it. Right. And then people are critics are complaining about bad VFX and how it looks too mm-hmm. CGI and too fake. Right. And like Tom Cruise is over here being like, nope, I'm just a dude jumping out of a helicopter. <laughs> right. <laughs> and people will pay to see that. <laughs> Take me up to the top of the atmosphere and let me jump out with a parachute. <laughs> yes. I'll just do that a bunch of times. Over so we'll and over come. again in every movie. Yeah. Right. Like that's so. So we've started talking about sort of what the secret sauce of this franchise is and kind of like what makes it so successful. Cause I, I do agree that it's like, like when I was doing light research for this today, like anticipation of our recording, I was trying to just find like, you know, like a good meaty, like thought piece on like what makes the mission impossible franchise tick. All I could find were like mission impossible is the best action franchise. Here's why mission impossible is better than everybody else. Like here's what it was just people just overtly, praising this franchise and saying like this is this is it this is what this is what's good about movies right now well jen here's your problem it doesn't tick it's a fuse that's (laughs) just (laughs) sorry fizzles uh but no that's fair i mean maybe this has to be on the long take uh substack is where where this has to be explored uh you that can be where this article could could be found uh sometime in the future but uh but yeah it's it is interesting that you know, people, it, it feels, you know, the, the critical acclaim for it has only grown. Uh, the box office, I think, you know, I don't know fully between Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation, but like these have been very successful and the anticipation grows, it feels like, for each one. So, uh, you know, given that, there's not a lot of sort of unpacking why. I wonder if there's some sort of, uh, and I'm going to, say uh i think it's latin and i don't know how to say it it's like the the sweet genre like how do you say that i only write it um but it, it's just this unique thing of this like yeah well it's tom cruise and the man's insane and they make these movies and that's also insane like what like who else is going to do that um like that's they, they're good like don't ask any questions about it um, but, but what else is contributing to that is my question because i think you, offline off mic you mentioned that they've really found a formula that works so yes. what is that formula? Like, what are the what are all the component parts well, of this franchise? I mean, I, I I do think you know, as someone who loves these movies, you know, they're they're not like fundamentally that different from movie to movie. You know, it's always like we're the, we're the IMF, we're this team, we have to do something. I think that they that individually or collectively they are disavowed by the government in every movie, and they have to like make their way back in, and you know easy sort of spy movie things of like they travel the globe, they have this different technologies um, and, and, you know, these different settings. Uh, so, you know, all that is, is pretty standard. I do think not to overemphasize the Tom Cruise of it. There, there is something in the, the character of Ethan Hunt that just feels so much like how 
we like what we know about Tom Cruise, where he is just like, I know what to do, and I know that I'm the one to do it, and I don't really know how I'm going to, but I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to be very intense, and I'm going to like just make it work, and like if if I don't know what to do, I'm just going to like run at something, or I'm just going to like start like doing it, and I'll just figure it out, and you know it 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 really like dovetails well with the positive things about Tom Cruise, like in a way that like you know, like th- those same elements came across very negative for a while uh, in his public persona. So I think that there is something there where it's it's like, it's taking things that we can like about him and putting it into the character and like they reflect back and forth off each other. Uh, and the other element I'll say is I, I, I do think um, the, there, there's been a pivot in it. I mean, I, I don't think this, I know this, there's been a pivot from this was a, uh, uh, you know, they would get like a prestige or at least like prominent director, uh, different director for each movie. And like each installment would be like, this is this director's version of Mission Impossible starring Tom Cruise. Uh, and so it's Brian De Palma at first and it's John Woo uh, and then J.J. Abrams and Brad Bird uh, in his first live action movie. And, uh, you know, it was sort of just like, this is what each of them are like. And they're sort of independent apart from the fact that there's the uh, accoutrement around uh, Ethan Hunt, uh, uh, Tom Cruise's character. Um, but then starting with Ghost Protocol, which is the Brad Bird movie, uh, they started, like he had Christopher McQuarrie that came in sort of uh, in the middle of shooting or early in shooting uh, to, they were like, we don't know what's happening with the script. Like the script's not good, which I, I think has been true on all of these movies where they're like, they just are like, we don't, we got to hit a release date. We're just going to start shooting the movie. We'll figure out what the actual like story is later, um, which is probably not a good formula for most movies, but works for these. And I think Christopher McQuarrie is particularly good. Like his skill set amongst, you know, his other skills that he has is he's very good at taking a collection of things he has to include and ideas that other people have had and being like, what is the most streamlined and effective story from all of these pieces? And, you know, there is, there's something interesting that like he got his first success and an Academy Award for the very sort of puzzle box, usual suspects movie. Um, a, a great movie that it's hard to recommend because of the director and star, um, but it is a great movie. Uh, and it uh, holds up if you can get past those two people. Uh, but like, you know, he's very good. That's sort of that, that puzzle box element. And it kind of feels like these movies are puzzle boxes to him, uh, starting with Ghost Protocol when he had these things other people had, had done. And now the last two and presumably these next two that he's worked on, the, the way that he's talked about making them which there there were uh, and i guess there i think still are somewhere out there these extended interviews he did with the empire uh podcast which is empire magazine a film magazine from uh england uh and i think they're, they're behind some sort of a paywall now i don't know exactly where uh, maybe they are now available on the empire website um but they he did one for rogue nation and one for fallout the Rogue Nation one, I think, was almost three hours, and the Fallout one was across two episodes, uh, close to six. Uh, and it's just like him talking and answering a bunch of questions from them about oh, he's how he even got us beat. That's amazing. I know um, about how he makes these movies and he, the way he talked about it. And I'm doing this from memory because they went behind a paywall. And as I st- was trying to Google, like, what's Christopher McQuarrie's process? I just kept seeing Dead Reckoning articles, and I was like, I'm not reading these because I don't, I don't know if it's going to give anything away. Um, the, the crucial plot development of the Mission Impossible series, um, but I just yeah, I don't want to hear. There are twists. Know. 
There are twists. There's and I always be twists surprised. in those movies. I want to be surprised, even though I did watch an eight-minute behind-the-scenes featurette like six months ago about a, a motorcycle stunt. But because uh, they put it out online, and I watched it like four times. But uh, you know that when they talk about making the movies, is that there's there's sort of two initial steps. Is uh, you know like he talks to Tom and he, he works well with Tom, and they're like we're gonna do another Mission Impossible movie, and it's like yeah, um, and they they go to. Um, first they talked with each other and they were like, what are the things we want to do? And it's based like, what are the set pieces? So stuff like I want to hang on the side of a plane while it takes off. And I want to do a, a, a helo jump from, you know, basically the upper edge of our atmosphere uh, and parachute down on that. Like I want to do a motorcycle chase through Paris, whatever, like all the sort of like things I've had, I'm going to do an underwater. Uh, I want to hold my breath underwater for five or six minutes. Um, you know, and they, so I talk about that and they kind of sketch it out. And they go to the studio and they say, what do you need to be in a Mission Impossible movie that you want to put in a trailer to sell this movie? Like, give us a list of six things. And he was just like, you know, it's always like a car chase and, you know, some sort of crazy stunt, which we're already working on, um, a woman in a in a ball gown or some sort of like attractive dress uh, and, uh, you know, like two or three like cool looking cities from like our locations uh, around the world. And they're like, great, we will do all of that for this amount of money. Don't talk to us again. Uh, and then, uh, and then the studio is like, great. Uh, and then they, they say they agree and they go off and they develop the stunts and they take like a couple of years building up the stunts. And then they keep like messing around with the story. And they basically usually figure the story out when they're editing the movie because this, you know, there's like, I don't know, there's like a thing and someone's going to get the thing and who knows what the thing is. Uh, and they just kind of figure it out. And that's should be terrible. That should totally fall apart. But if for some reason, when it's Christopher McQuarrie, like uh, you know, manipulating the story and, uh, you know, Tom Cruise driving it um, and the supporting cast, which we will get into, that they have built up uh, and the ways in which these movies that across the first th three um, the fourth one starts having some interconnected elements, but they really start to build up across these last couple, the ones written and directed by uh, McQuarrie or co-written and directed by McQuarrie, uh, really start to sort of create tendrils that wrap around all of the movies to have a narrative uh, consistency and sort of story uh, moving through. And so there's something satisfying about that of like, yeah, I do remember that thing from the first movie. Uh, and also like there's this cool stunt. And also he does a good job of making somehow the MacGuffin like chase of what is going on and the double crosses that are unfolding all clear enough that like they make sense and they're thrilling. And when there's things that don't really make sense, you don't care. Cause it's like, okay, well, whatever. Right, like something cool is happening. Right, right. You're not distracted trying to figure out what's going on. Right. At any point. So Which may kind of... be a problem in the first couple of movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, okay. So the process you're describing as I'm listening to it, I think is a reflection of a clear understanding of the creators, right? So like Macquarie, Tom Cruise, you know, whoever it is, right? It's an understanding of the genre and what makes the genre entertaining and appealing. Mm -hmm. Because the main thing when I was doing this, this binge of all these movies it's the timing of it is right as secret invasion is on uh, the Marvel show is happening. And mm. that was pitched as Marvel, but a spy thriller. And I know you haven't seen that. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into any detail about what's happening, but my, I, I've been struggling with that show 
And I'm like, what is it? Like, there's something that's off about this. There's something that's not working. Every time I do my written reviews every week, which you can find at the longtake.substack.com. Uh, Please like you know, and subscribe. <laughs> um, you know, I'm all, I'm just, I've been wrestling with like, what is it that it feels weird to me and doesn't feel quite right about this? And I think once I started really getting deep into this, this Mission Impossible, Impossible watch made me realize, oh, they're trying to do Mission Impossible, but they're totally misunderstanding what makes it work. And so what I mean by that is that in the Mission Impossible movies, the story is there. The story is clear. And from a character arc perspective, usually, you know, for Ethan Hunt, like usually the, it's simple but compelling, right? There's some, mm-hmm. the stakes are very clear and they're high, right? And that like for him, it's like, it's the mission or someone he cares about, right? Like, and like, that's a really simple premise, but it's always very compelling, right? And, and I feel like, but it's always prioritizing what's fun and exciting about these movies, right? Which is all the spy craft, right? Mm-hmm. The, the like, you know, it's not about what they're chasing. It's about how they're, how they're going to chase it. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not about it doesn't it doesn't matter who the villain is and what they care about, though. We get that. Right. Um, but it's more about like, how is Ethan Hunt going to outsmart them? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's it's all about the how and not the what. And, and so I feel like that's something that Secret Invasion has misunderstood. And part of that probably is because it also has to kind of fit into the MCU. And so it's kind of like, oh, we want to make a spy thriller, but we also got to do all this other stuff. And that's sort of like pulling them away from what really would make the show exciting and fun as a spy thriller. Because like they're just not doing very much spy stuff. Like it's, like, <laughs> um, and and that's all I'll say about it because I know you haven't seen it, and a lot of people listening to this probably haven't seen it. But um, but that that's what clicked into place for me. I was like, oh, like the the genius of this these movies when they're really cooking is the like cleverness of these action sequences and how over the top they are and how, and then it knows exactly in terms of pacing. Like that was the thing that blew me away is like the pacing of a lot of these movies are so good where like, it's like boom, 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 relentless action. And then like a really well-placed, but short, right. Doesn't, doesn't overstay its welcome character beat of like, Mm -hmm. You know, the supporting the team being like, oh, Ethan, no, like you can't do that. And him being like, I'm going to do it. Right. And then, like, um, people I trust are in this room. We can't (laughs) tell anybody else. Even we see it in the trailer for Dead Reckoning already, right? Like his big, his Mm -hmm. version of that in that, in that trailer is my, my life is always going to matter less than all of yours. Right. And they're like, it can't Mm -hmm. matter less than the Ving Rames is like, it can't matter less than the mission or whatever. (laughs) <laughs> like, um, or can't matter more than the mission. Um, so, you know, like, yeah, it's like, but it never feels redundant or repetitious to, across the movies. Yeah. Right. And I feel like I have a more acute probably sensation of that because I'm watching them all back to back. Um, so I, I've, I'm noticing like, oh, okay. Like he always has to have that moment where they're like, you're crazy, but I'm going to do it. Right. Like, <laughs> like, um, but it works. It works every time. And and so, yeah, I think that I think just a really good understanding. It's like what is going to get people to watch these movies and enjoy them and not worry too much about. Right. None of these movies are going to get Oscar nominations for a screenplay because it's just like, you know, it's pretty. Other than the double crossing and the like, oh, this person wasn't what they seemed, which mm-hmm. even then is like a trope. Right. There has to be always a character who like isn't who they claim to be or isn't who they seem to be. I feel like in almost everyone. Um, but that, you know. 
So that's not that's not going to that's not innovating in general, right? It's not super complex or philosophical, right? But it it works. It's functional in this context. Um, and so I think that's yeah. They're not they're not like overthinking it. I think is part of the charm <laughs> of yeah. these movies. I, the, the, it's almost like the fact that they they like you know. I, I think this is was a, a image uh, that that Macquarie used. Um, for, it sticks out in my in my mind, or at least I've heard it, and it relates to it as like you jump off the cliff and you build the plane on the way down. Um, where like they're just sort of like we'll figure it out when we get there, and then it's like whatever it is that works once we w- w- once we've done the things that we have done, um, we'll we'll make that happen. And yeah, it's not going to be great drama that moves you. Uh, to the... But they're still aware they have to do that, right? Like a lot of action movies, I'm not going to call anyone out specifically, but a lot of action movies are like, oh, because we're an action movie, we don't have to actually like put any effort into all the other stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I think I would, you know, my dad would hate this, but like most Steven Seagal movies, I feel like, <laughs> right? It's all the set pieces and, and all one liners and no, no connective tissue, no nothing. Like, I don't know. Like, there's not much else. Um, maybe, maybe that's just like a bad memory. Like, you know, mem- no, no, like, no. I that really- right. Okay, okay. I haven't watched accurate. a Steven Seagal movie in forever. Like, since I was a kid, probably. So, but you know, like, like everyone, know, like even if even if the specific reference I use doesn't land with you, like, I'm sure you've seen an action movie where, like, oh, like people probably call them like dumb action movies, mm-hmm. right? Which is not charitable, but like, what they're referring to is that it's all action no right no plot no character no story right well and the the thing that like the parallel that always kind of exists for me i shouldn't say always but like comes to mind are the fast and furious movies where because mm-hmm. i'll watch like a trailer for that and i've seen a couple of them like when they got like crazy in the middle and i'm just sort of like these are dumb but they're kind of fun and then i was like oh okay i've seen enough and now they've made like a bunch more and i'll know people are just like these movies are not good like why do folks still like go into them and it's like but are they fundamentally different than the mission impossible movies in terms of like quote unquote how dumb they are uh and you know there's there's certainly a message that they're always talking about family in the fast and furious movies like they're trying to sort of have these characters with some sort of arcs and connections to each other uh but i don't know for some reason maybe it's just because it's you know more focused on spying and spycraft and and that technology and wearing masks uh and and all of that uh that just appeals to me more um maybe it's the way that they have sort of the characters they do you know i do kind of feel like the fast characters revolve around vin diesel now but you know the characters all kind of revolve around tom cruise but they do sort of ebb and flow and and change their opinion of him and you know there is a sort of found family element without it being called out so much I don't know, but yeah, it's it's it feels like they're walking a tightrope of uh, you know this could all fall apart. This is a house of cards that could just stop working, but it hasn't yet. Uh, it, it does, kind and of- in, and if anything, it's gotten it has gotten better over time. Like so, what was really valuable for me to listen to as you're kind of laying out the timeline of this franchise and of Tom Cruise and kind of how it fits into his career, I feel like that that shift from each movie's kind of hodgepodge different director like different style once it locks into the chris mcquarrie stretch and maybe that's because like he's in sync with tom cruise right there's could be a lot of things contributing that but to me i also see it as it's coinciding with the movies getting more and more about 
the team surrounding Ethan Hunt mm. than just Ethan Hunt himself. So if you think about the very first movie, it's like a man against the world, right? He does technically assemble a team that still includes Bing Rames, right? Like MVP of this franchise, Bing Rames, who I, I'm pretty sure is in, has he is missed it, any of them? No. He's in every single he, one, isn't he? He's a cameo in Ghost Protocol. Like he's only in the last like two minutes. Right, right, right. But, but he's he still there. counts. He's in yeah, all he's of there. them. Him and Tom Cruise are the only two. So like technically Ethan Hunt assembles a team, but it's still very much, the movie is still very much centered on him against everybody else, against the John Voight character, against the CIA, right? Trying to outsmart everybody. It's him against the world. And, and I feel like the more it kind of, sl- with every movie, it gets closer and closer. And I think it really hits its stride with Ghost Protocol of like, and it, there might even be explicit lines about him being like, we're a team. This works because we're a team. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. he literally says that at the end of the movie when they're all sitting around the table drinking beers uh, after the mission's over. And they're all like, yeah, we did it. Right. He's like, no, it's 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 all of you. But I feel like there's some some secret sauce that kind of flows at that point because Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt, as charismatic and as like confident as his performance is, he's very much ser- like a serious man taking himself seriously. <laughs> Right. And so I feel like having building this team around him makes him a more compelling character, right? Because he it's giving him people to care about, right? And that's part of the character's charm is that like and and they really lean into this in the later films, I think, where a lot of characters are like, no, like you always have to put one person above saving millions, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like I, and he's like I'm not going to change. He's like no, like that's and some characters, right? Like the Alec Baldwin character is like, that's a, no, that's a good thing. He comes around and he's like, no, that's a good thing. Like that was, that's what makes you one of the best agents is that you're always going to look after your team. Right. But the, the sense is that's what makes him special or like unusual as a secret agent, right? Is that he like cares about people. Right. Um, and so I feel like the more it shifts towards that kind of dynamic, I think the more successful the movies are because it's also like giving, he's the straight man and people are playing off him. Right. Especially Simon Pegg and like, and Ving Rhames and like those, the, the recurring team members that keep coming back. Yeah. I, I agree with all of that. The, and the thing I'll add to it is uh, they all, the movies also, and this is to the credit of Cruz and probably to a degree McQuarrie as well. Uh, and, and the other actors, like they they don't shy away from Ethan like losing fights or or you know not achieving his goal like he'll they'll win in the end but like over the course of the movie it's not like i need to always be like the alpha primate you know winner uh on top of every scenario uh and you know they're they're willing for that and they're willing for like to have the character be sort of mocked or at least kind of uh questioned by the people around him where it's just like you're going to go off and do something crazy, aren't you? And he's like, what are you talking about? Yes. Uh, or like, you know, how, you know I, I promise you, I will not I'm the let only that one happen. who can do it. I promise you, I will not let that happen. Well, how are you going to do that? I'm working on it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'll, figure, I'll figure that out. Um, which, you know, again, is not like groundbreaking, but it's very possible that a mo- movie set up with like one performer having so much power uh, could very easily have the movie be like, well, I don't want to look... I don't want to look weak like that. I, you know, I don't want that. Or like someone came up with a good line. Like that's my line now. Like I want to say that. Uh, my character should be the one that does, you know, whatever. So, uh, you know, it's it's to the credit that like the ensemble is given so much to do. And, uh, you know, it's it's the, they are playing off of Cruz uh, or, or, or slash Ethan. 
uh, and and also that they're Ethan is allowed to sort of look as foolish as he does sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I think that's pretty that's pretty central because then that makes you know makes it not seem like he's this big weirdo who has to be in control of everything, which again is like the the potential like downside of of Tom Cruise the persona. So uh, so I think they've really tapped into Pio again presenting who like who we sort of think he is of channeling it through this character in mm. all the good ways and all the best ways to get us like right there on board. It, it also positions him as the antithesis to James Bond. Cause that was the other comparison I kept making while I was watching this. I'm like, why, what, what is this do franchise doing? That's different than Bond. What is making it compelling? Right. Cause I said it at the top of the show, like maybe my subconscious assumption was like, well, I have Bond. I don't need another spy franchise right um so as i was watching it i was like okay what is what is going to draw someone to this that doesn't draw them to bond and i feel like it's it's this idea of he's always going to make the choice to save somebody he cares about as opposed at at the expense of the mission right because i think bond historically is about the sort of tragedy of he's he's just a number he's not a person mm-hmm. right and he had and he's lonely and he's never made any human connections with anybody right obviously depending on which bond that that goes up and down but like you know th- that's always the problem is that like he's like no i'm i'm just this cold you know killer right and i'm i and it, and what is the cost like uh, good the best bond movies i think take a peek into like what is in what is he lost what is his soul kind of lost in the process of that? Right. Whereas that's not what this is about at all. (laughs) Um, In a way it's so, yeah, it's soul regained. Like he keeps kind of, you know, clawing more and more humanity back. And then, you know, sometimes has to give it up. Um, Like, you know, he's not allowed to be married, but you know, he's still tracking, monitoring the safety of his wife and he's protecting all the people around him. Yeah. So that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. How different, you know, fundamentally different it is of the sort of license to kill versus, you know, trying to save those around him. Right. It's, and it's the, and they, again, they take this and explicitly like make it into a line. Cause I feel like Henry Cavill's character at some point is like, isn't it like your mission choose, should you choose to accept it? You choose to do this. Right. Like, and then they also are like, you know, he tried to get out of the game, but he can't help. He needs to save the world. Like he needs mm-hmm. to be helping and protecting people and that's why what pulls him back in and so i feel like this idea of like he always chooses to accept his mission because that's just who he is is a big part of the character in a way that like it's with bond is basically just like a pawn of mi6 kind of and that's sort of like a sad <laughs> reality a lot of the time not again not for not not for every movie but like you know that's the that's the stereotype of the character. Yeah, um, I, I will I will just say in terms of other comparisons, the other one I'll put out there because I I, you know, I think of these movies as being like dad movies, and I specifically it's like my dad movies because like he loves spy stories and all of that, and I have seen three of them, I think with him, and only the third time was Fallout. I was visiting home. Uh, when it came out and we went to um, the big IMAX screen, where if Greg were here, he would definitely know. Um, that's in the furniture store in Reading, Massachusetts. At, at Jordan's, Jordan's Furniture. furniture. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, it's a new Mission Impossible movie, Dad. We got to go. And like after that one, he was just like, yeah, these movies are crazy. Like they're just like crazy. Like he wants Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which is like another like very spy craft. Like he wants slow horses that Gary Oldman. Right, it's mostly people on, talking in small rooms. Yeah, and like with and, dusty you know, books. 
and and I and it's interesting because I you know the you know it, it was obviously very like sort of tech heavy still, um, but in my reading up of the original TV show, it was more in line with that of like it was a very it was like a procedural. It had the sort of like it opened a certain way every week. They had like certain steps, and then they would be like, okay, how are we going to manipulate this person into putting themselves in a compromising position or giving up the information or whatever? And not a ton of like necessarily so i think that there is you know in the same way that there were folks who uh to to sort of pull uh the jj abrams of it uh into the center there were folks that when the abrams uh you know chris pine zachary quinto star trek trilogy came out they were just like what the hell is this like star trek is about like exploring and talking and there's fights sometimes but like it's a lot of sort of mental acuity and kind of like characters positioning things and he made it like a whiz bang star warsy um action adventure movie and i think that there are there are some people maybe my dad certainly members of the cast of the original tv series who are like you took something that was kind of smart and you made it this big dumb action movie uh and that's like that's the core flaw and so you know, I, I I'm just pointing out that there's you know there there is a sort of comparison with the Bond movies, which are also very actiony. There's also potentially you know the, the like oh and there's all the spycraft that they do that <laughs> there's certain people like my dad who are like not enough spycraft like need to spend more time going through files. I need to spend more time in a room in a meeting like having a conversation about what we should do and trying to size up who's being double crossed by whom in that one room. Um, and you know, car chases are overrated and motorcycle jumps off of the side of a mountain are uh, a waste of time. So, uh, you know, that's, that's just another, another potential look if that's what you're looking for in a, in a spy franchise, this may be too adrenaline based. But I mean, it's still that part of it's still there. There's just less paperwork to go with it. Cause I feel like there's always a moment where Ethan figures out something and then has to kind of like keep it to himself and like then then be three steps ahead of the other person or something like right like mm-hmm. i mean maybe maybe it's just i'm just thinking of the first one right because he there's a moment where he opens the bible from the hotel that john Boyd's yes. character mentions right and then that something clicks and then he has to kind of like reformulate an entire plan and so i feel like there's a lot of planning <laughs> and strategizing there's just not a lot of literal paperwork in right. these movies. It's I, mean, look, I, I agree. I, I love them. I, I was just pointing that out there. And I also wanted to bring in that the original cast at least hated the first movie and presumably yeah. continue to hate them, mostly because there's only one named character that moved forward, which was the Peter Graves character who ends up being the bad guy. And they asked him to play the role and he's like, no, I'm not going to be the guy who is the bad guy at the end of this movie. I've played this character for like eight years on TV and uh, he's a good guy. Like, what are you doing? Uh, and then they all got pretty mad. Yeah. It blew my that. mind. Cause I think this was on one of the Wikipedia pages that I was looking at that it's considered conti- Cause I, I was really, my knee jerk reaction was to call the movie franchise a reboot, but it technically the first mission impossible movie takes six years, takes place. It's like events six years after the 80s tv series mm-hmm. and i'm like why did we we didn't need to do that you know what i mean like and so it's interesting to also think about this in a historical context in terms of ip franchise filmmaking because the 90s were like pretty early for that kind of stuff like it wasn't quite like it is now 
right? Uh, I would say it's like early, pretty early, but but to even see then that there was this insecurity that like, no, 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 we have to make this like a continuation of something people love, but then also change it in a way that people hate it. <laughs> right. Well, it, it felt like that was chosen entirely to like, you know, in the, in the, in the sort of meta marketing way of like, no, no, we're not, we're not starting the story over. We're carrying, carrying the for, the character of Jim Phelps forward uh, into this. And so that way, like no one would suspect he's the bad guy. So it would be a really effective twist, which it's weird. Cause now it's just, people are like, who the hell's Jim Phelps? Like, this isn't, I don't know who that is. That's um, the thing. It's like, yeah, nobody. <laughs> and, and the people who cared nobody were cares. mad. So, you know, it was, it was sort of, it, it was the opposite of like, you know, the, the fan service uh, filmmaking choices that one may see these days where it's like, we got to, we got to make sure the Twitter and Reddit reactions are positive. This was more like two double middle fingers from Tom, Tom Cruise, Robert Town and Brian De Palma to the, the people who quote unquote beloved the characters for the original series. They were just like, we right. don't care. But we're also gonna- very much in keeping with what was on trend in the 90s in terms of tone mm-hmm. right like of like oh we're gonna make the guy you thought is the good guy who's old the bad guy right, right. like i don't know well uh, and I mean, you know again to, you know the um the, it, an interesting sort of note and he, i don't think he quite got to christopher McQuarrie levels but the first two movies are written by robert town who wrote chinatown and the last detail and shampoo in the 70s and you know had that sort of noir sardonic sensibility that would be like yeah your hero your hero is like a sucker or your hero will turn when like things are no longer going his way and you know the 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 good guys become the bad guys uh is is you know not uh, uncommon for uh for his worldview should we start ranking these movies i think are we there i think we are there's, there's, we put a lot of things in the notes. The, 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 the document, because it's just the two of us this week, just became us basically texting in a Google Doc yes. where we were like in different fonts going back and forth. And like, I hey, did you know this? Like, oh, yeah. wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, oh, just because this is a note I put here. Um, uh, I already sort of talked about the it's evolving from different directors, each movie as like a core part of the franchise to being the Macquarie and Cruise thing that the... Uh, Tom Cruise, again, wanted to do a Mission Impossible movie because he loved watching Mission Impossible and would binge watch it um, back way before that was a term, binge watching, but he just would watch it a lot. Uh, and the the story he tells, is it apocryphal? I don't know. Um, but like he tells it is uh, he used to live up the street from Steven Spielberg, again, in like the early 90s. So this is like post Rain Man, like born on the 4th of July uh, uh, far and away era Tom Cruise um, used, and he used to go over to Steven Spielberg once or twice a week and just hang out and talk movies and they'd have dinner and they would just talk about movies because uh, they just love doing that and one night Brian De Palma was there because he was hanging out with Steven Spielberg and they talked and Tom Cruise was like huh like Brian De Palma knows a lot about movies and he kind of says it as if he had never like heard of Brian De Palma before but he's like that <laughs> night I went home and I watched every Brian De Palma movie I stayed up all night and I watched it until the like next afternoon and then I called like my agent and was like, we're hiring Brian De Palma. He has to do the Mission Impossible movie. Um, and similarly, he hired J.J. Abrams because he had watched the first two seasons of Alias in like a couple of weeks. Um, and so he just, he, wow. he binge, it's the, the binge watch to to uh, job right. offer pipeline. So you, you need to get on Tom Cruise's TV screen yes. is like the takeaway from 
Yes. Um, How do you hack the, into his Netflix account? <laughs> the other thing I'll add from the the, the sort of director uh, camaraderie group is, according to Wikipedia, uh, a totally reliable source you should always use. Uh, there was uh, in the in the original screenplay, and maybe even when it was shot, a a clear emphasis on a plot line in the first movie of a love triangle with Tom Cruise and John Voight and John Voight's wife played by a French actress whose name I, I can't remember or, or pronounce when I did remember it. Um, and, you know, there, it, that's sort of implied in the movie. It's sort of heavily, like, hinted that at least Tom Cruise was sort of interested um, in... Uh, I'd say uh, in it was life. more than heavily. Well, I, I guess more time was spent on it. And they took it out because George Lucas said this isn't this is too much and it's going to distract uh, from the it's going to make the plot too confusing because we're going to be thinking about this in addition to all the double crosses. So in the same way that Brian De Palma rewrote the crawl for the original Star Wars movie because he thought the version George wrote was terrible, George uh, streamlined the first Mission Impossible movie for Brian because they added too many uh, subplots to it. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, I guess you're right. It's it is that final scene where that those tensions like there's there's subtle tension all throughout the movie between the the mm-hmm. the wife I think her is her name Claire and right. the the character not the actress I don't remember the actress's name and and Ethan and then in the in the final scene right arguably John Voight turns and shoot I mean I'm saying this because I just watched this this morning he, t- he turns and shoots her I interpret it as because she's like begging him not to kill Ethan. And so she's like, right. oh, you like him now? Like, forget you. Yeah. I'll just take all the money for myself. Right. Like, he gets jealous. And that's, that was my read on the scene. And so, like, it's so interesting that that all got, con- that was a much bigger thing and that just all got concentrated into one. Be- yeah. Well, and there scene. is like, you know, because it, it's allegedly, and it's unknown when people know he's not. But the, for a bunch of the movie, the audience at least thinks that the Jim Phelps character is dead. And then, Tom Cruise and the wife. Uh, the actress's name is Emmanuel Bayar, B E A R T, and she's French. So, uh, apologies to uh, Emmanuel and everyone who speaks French in the world um, that I'm, I'm not pronouncing that correctly. But uh, that, like, you know, that you know, she's you know a widow, and they're sort of like they're together, so they're always sort of near each other. And there's like a couple times like she kisses him on the cheek, and they like fall asleep like in the safe house like sitting against a wall next to each other, but it definitely isn't like an explicit they are together. Right. Now. She doesn't seduce him or at some point. Or right. Or know, vice like versa. Whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, although there is some weird uh, Brian De Palma politics, so, not politics, but like sexual, sexual politics um, when she first shows up and Tom Cruise is just sort of like, how did you get here? And he like, yeah, he's like holding her down in a bed. Not good. Um, it, not good. It, it had real kind of dress to kill vibes of like, Oh, Brian, are you okay with women? Is this is this all right for you? Like, are, are you good? You good, bro? Um, but, you know. Okay, so we we've started talking at least about the first movie in specific right. enough terms. I think we need to start getting into our rankings because that will allow us to kind of like freely talk about some of these movies specifically. So we're gonna count down six to one. We'll mm. Just kind of go back and forth. I have a feeling we're gonna be pretty. Well, I'm gonna predict. We'll see that we're gonna be pretty so. similar. I think it, we'll be pretty it, similar. It, in the interest of generally mixing things up and also because you are have more recently exposed to almost all of these, uh, I'm going to motion that you go first uh, okay. in, in, in sharing your numbers. I'm okay with it. So my number six is Mission Impossible 2. I know there's a lot of John Woo love and, and people 
Oh, you know, every once in a while, there's a person who pops up who's like, I know this one's not really the best, but I really love it. And there's some cool, there's some fun stuff in it. There's some cool stuff in it, especially like, I feel like the, the mountain climbing scene at the very beginning really sticks with me. And then comes back again in Fallout when he's climbing up the side of the Mm -hmm. mountain to get the detonator. And so that was nice. Like, I like that. But the, the, like, um, and you just told me what her, what she goes by now, formerly known as Tandy Newton. Tandyway? Yes. That's what she goes by now? Tandyway. Tandyway. Okay. She brought the W back. Her character is just so problematic and just totally underuses her as an actress and like the triangle between Ethan and her and Ambrose, the villain is just really icky because he's like, I love you, but I'm going to send you to your ex-boyfriend who was abusive clearly. And like, but you get back in there and you have no sit, like, even though you don't want to do this, you have to do this. Like I did that. I was not comfortable with a lot of the dynamics (laughs) at play yeah there um and and so i couldn't really get past that so that's why that's this is this is my least favorite one i'm with you this is also my least favorite i would say this is the only movie in this series that's not good like there's things that are good sure like and because john was a very good director um time has been kind to some of the john woo flourishes uh because i remember seeing it in the theater like opening weekend and John Woo had been making movies in America for five, I think years, like a broken arrow, like was 94, 95, I think was the first one. Um, And, you know, as little uh, film nerd me had been like, I, you know, I'd seen the killer. Like I was like, yeah, watch some of the Hong Kong movies, but like his stuff had enough, was known enough that when things like a flock of doves flew out of, uh, little side door in an underground lair like people laughed when there was the like a lot of slow-mo like sequences of like people spitting around with guns people were just kind of like okay like we get it like we've seen this before like it was it was too kind of old hat and it was kind of trying to take some of that aesthetic and put it onto this franchise uh and i think you know again time has served well because it's no longer like a current so current that like you're kind of happy to see it again um but it's still kind of, you know, it just feels a little tacked on. Um, I think you got to the core of it. The, just the, 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 the dynamic between the characters is, is pretty icky. This, um, I mean, I was, I was uh, casting aspersions on Brian De Palma, which I think is fair. May also have to cast some aspersions on Robert Town, uh, who writes these movies with these women. Um, you know, not great. Um, not, 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 maybe not the best, uh, representation of it. Uh, and a real waste of Anthony Hopkins as I don't know if he was the secretary of IMF, but he's like the sort of mission commander. Um, and he is only, is it an uncredited cameo and he shows up and you're just like, this is awesome. Anthony Hopkins is the guy who's like giving the mission. It's great. And like, mostly what he does is just be like, women are dumb and all they, all they're good for is sleeping with. And so have her use her body. Anyway, goodbye. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, no, Anthony, like what's happening? Like, what are we doing here? Uh, Brendan Gleeson also grossly underused in this movie. He's basically just like sweaty in a hospital bed for most of it or carrying a briefcase and not saying anything. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's, and the other thing too, is like, I guess the way I would rationalize it in terms of the development of Ethan Hunt over time is that like, because I think between one and two, 
his character feels just a lot more like smarmy than it will later. Like, because I feel like the Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible 2, I'm like, follow Ethan Hunt is going to think you are way sloppy. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Right. Like, well, and I, to, to some of the points you were making earlier, this is also the least team based. Like, there's yep. not really a team. Like, you know, he's got uh, uh, Tandy Way's character he's working with, and Luther is there and he does some work towards the end. It's been like, I did a full rewatch of he's all the these movies. He's the guy in the chair at the end. Yeah. I did a full rewatch of all these movies a couple of years ago. This is the movie, it's been the longest. When I last did a rewatch of all these over the last few months, I skipped two. I think uh, when we were recommending, this is why for listeners. Yeah, you told me to skip two. We were wondering, it was just like, what was Jen's order? But Jen was like, I kind of remember seeing Mission Impossible, the original, the first one once. And both Greg and I were like, okay, well then just start with three and do three through six. And then if you want to then go back, you can rewatch one and then maybe check out two. I didn't realize that that she would be checking out too, like in the run up to like recording this episode, like turning it off and like, like spinning in her chair to a microphone to start talking to uh, you, the good listeners out there. Um, But yeah, that's uh, it's the, it's the least essential and it's the one that's been the least mind. And I think there's a reason for that because it just, it doesn't work. Interesting parallels, by the way, it's just in this conversation, I never thought of it before to the last franchise we talked about where the second movie has got some sexism problems. And also like, Tiss says like, what if this character was just more of a jerk? Like what if he was just kind of more self-centered and uh, less helpful to other people? Um, But at least with Indiana Jones, they were like, well, it's set earlier. Like the events of this movie or why he then yeah. was like a, a slightly better person in the first one. Whereas this one is just like, I don't know. He's got long hair. That, that's all we have for you. Uh, that's, that's, that's the only difference. All right. My number five, would I would say is mission impossible one. Okay. It's a, I, you know, it's the first one. It's the one that started it all. It's a classic. And again, as I said earlier, like when I first saw it for the first time, the twist, of like, oh no, he's alive and he's the bad guy it was like mind blowing at the time. And I looked it up. It actually this actually precedes Mission Impossible One precedes the Sixth Sense. And I feel mm-hmm. like in my movie history brain, that's the movie that started shocking mm-hmm. twists and reveals in movies, at least that that type. And but this one was before, so it did it first. Um, but but to me, it it feels very dated when I watch it now. Mm-hmm. And. It's so it's just funny because it's like, oh, they really like yeah, a lot of the component parts are there, right? But it doesn't have the supporting characters are not as strong. And Ethan Hunt is a character I just don't find as charismatic in this movie as I do in the later ones. And it, it feels like it's it was I cracked up because the opening scene is like them do them doing a similar thing to they what they do in future movies where they have like they set up like a sound stage to trick somebody mm-hmm. with a mask and that they're recording it but in this movie because it's the 90s it's like a tiny crt tv yes <laughs> it's, it's the like 90s the t- and they're in ukraine so i mean you it's know right, yeah and then like the 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 missions are like on an airplane, like a cassette tape you put push into the seat, basically. So just like it's just, I just thought that I just got a kick out of that because if you watch the newer ones, right? Like I had and I had just watched Fallout 
right before. And I was like, oh, how far we have come. <laughs> sort of, so I couldn't, I couldn't really shake that. Um, and I do feel like the train, the, the, the big fight scene on like, it's like a bullet train. I think I want to say at the end, it's some sort of yeah, train. It's, in a, it's a high speed rail through the channel. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. Um, like John Voight, I don't know how old he is in this movie, but <laughs> him, young. him, like, like roughing it on the, on a high speed train with, with Tom Cruise, like, is just, I just laughed. I was like, this looks ridiculous. <laughs> um, I respected it conceptually because he's in basically like a wetsuit and then holding on to like a cable on the train. Mm-hmm. And then, and then there's something that makes Ethan go like tunneling towards the camera or like not well, tunneling. It's the helicopter exploding. He puts hey, the gun explosion on it. I also, yes, I just watched this before we recorded it earlier. Okay. Tonight. Okay. There you go. So this so is fresh very for you vivid too. in my memory. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, this was like, you know, I respect its place, but it's not one of my favorites. Fair. So my, uh, <clears throat> I will say like, I sort of have like a, a tier thing and it gets really tough within the tiers of like what I want to do within them. But the tiers are very clear. I'm I'm a very tier minded person when I'm ranking movies, I guess. And Mission Possible Two, very simply, very well. Easily. There's enough of them; you can Last tier place. them. That's not true for That's a lot true. of franchises. That's true. Uh, although I also tiered Indiana Jones without any 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 qualms, um, even though at the time there were only four. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I, I have two movies in a tier together. Um, so I, I'm I'm going to put both of them out there. Uh, so I have at. Uh, five, I have Mission Impossible three, and four, the first Mission Impossible. Um, and I, you know, basically, what we, I, I want to. I said that so I can chime in on the first one. I'm not really going to argue like it's oh, it's substantively so much better than Mission Impossible three because I don't think that it is, and I, I sort of have wavered back and forth on it. There is just something about like I was in high school and I went to go see Mission Impossible and I really liked it and I had a good time with it and that mid the mid '90s like aesthetic of it all uh, is like like appealing now like and, and the fact that like it's so it's so quaint uh in the way that like even though i have not gone back i feel like if we went back and looked at the 60s show would be like woof like that's quaint as hell um and then the 90s one is also sort of very much earmarked in its own way plus like just how young tom cruise and ving rames are in it like really kind of marks like where we are how the franchise has evolved um and i feel like the you know the, the sort of the core um, you know, double crossing of it, and the you know the, the the sort of quote unquote bad guys that are chasing Ethan are like a hundred percent in the right. Like it's just like yeah, there's a problem, there's a mole. All evidence is is pointing towards you. Like <laughs> I I yeah, I, I have to take you down. Like this is like they're not wrong. And and at no point is Ethan Hunt like I hate this guy for trying to take me down. He's just like I just got to clear my name and I got to figure out like what's going on. It is fundamentally very funny where it's like we think that you're the one who's trying to sell secrets to to shady buyers to make money. And he's like, well, then to I Vanessa Redgrave, and I just got to steal secrets and and I got I got to be the one who's doing that in order to prove I'm not doing that. Um, very very good like proto Ethan Hunt insane thinking, um, and. <laughs> Uh, yes, Vanessa Redgrave, who um, it is different because uh, it was a different time and Tom Cruise is uh, like almost fundamentally a different person in this movie compared to the sort of like Macquarie trilogy of four, five and six. Um, but 
her her character uh, Max, who is the mom of Vanessa Kirby's character in Fallout. Um, those are that mom and daughter are the only Wait. two characters. Yes, that's that's she says it in the background in Fallout, which you don't remember because you watched the first one after. But she's like my what? mother Max. when she's when he first goes into their like her that's like presentation. Right. She's talking about her mother Max. This is blowing my mind right now. Yeah, that's so and cool. They're also the only two characters who credibly look at Ethan Hunt uh, during these movies and are like, I want to have sex with him. And I believe they want to have sex with him because they both do. So that there's something in that family that is just like, I see through, I see through everything. She saw through his, his uh, mid nineties chipmunk face. It was just like, yes, there's something in here. There's still, uh, there's and still the fluffy crew cut. It's got a floppy crew cut. Um, and you know there, there, there's a lot of Dutch angles because it's a Brian De Palma movie. Um, you know there's there uh, that's is something... the other thing that weirded me out. So the Kittredge is the CIA guy. Yes. The the first meeting they have in that like aquarium restaurant. Mm-hmm. The, uh, I was like getting motion sickness. Like it's just so many so many angle up shots yeah. on his face. I'm just like, what are you doing? This and it's is... getting like closer. Yes. And it's getting more uh, tilted. Uh, I, I like all that. Like it, it's, you know, I don't, I don't always dig Brian De Palma, but like in this mold, I feel like his flourishes work really well and do kind of make it feel like, a, you know, in a Hitchcockian way that doesn't necessarily work out. Sure, I sure. also, um, you know, really remember this. Uh, I don't think this is putting, uh, uh, putting her on blast. Uh, Jasmine doesn't remember movies like apart from maybe she has maybe like a handful of movies that she's watched so many times that she knows them by heart. But in general, like we could rewatch a movie and she'll be like, I don't know what happens. Like, I don't remember. So like she once again today was shocked that Emilio Estevez was killed in the first like 15 minutes. Oh, that's brutal. Um, that scene. I was not prepared that, for that. Well, that's the thing is like, I, I remember really thinking of like, they set it up. It's you know, Emilio Estevez, Kristen Scott Thomas, um and uh you know and tom cruise and then a, a, a couple of ladies and john and they're all dead and then they all die the team the is dead. Minutes, they're dead they're all dead everyone's <laughs> dead um you get real some real good emphatic tom cruise pointing no and, and that's the other thing too is that these two these first two movies it's a lot of tom cruise just yelling at the same pitch yeah it, it and is I feel like he he evolves after this yeah it, it, he's very like he's in that like the firm pocket yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of you can't handle the truth. Oh, no, like I want the truth. Like that sort of like he, he's like, that's that's good for me in the way Al Pacino kind of fell into the hoo-ha for a while. Like <laughs> Tom Cruise fell into the I want the truth. Um, so but the thing is, it's so like for me, it all like all that works. And I, and I, I just have to say the sort of centerpiece sequence of the movie with the suspension into into the data room in Langley is absolute gangbusters and even though he's using a, a, a zip disk um to, to go into a, a computer um I, I will note that that luther is pining for a 686 um like futuristic like i don't think pentiums existed yet so he like he was just like well they've got 686s now um and so that that's really great that's again mid 90s but yeah it's like a zip drive being put into the thing but the whole like sequence of setting it up and how they get in there and there's like the rat that that messes with jean renault and the knife falls great like just so great uh and works and works really well and i i don't know while there's many things we're going to say that are really good about mission impossible 3 um like the, the the peaks of the first one and my sort of personal memories of it put it slightly above. Sure. No, that's fair. That's fair. And, you know, unsurprisingly, my number four is Mission Impossible 3. 
Because I feel like, and and for me, how I ended up putting this one above the original is two reasons. One, Philip Seymour Hoffman oh, is man. incredible in this movie, as he is in all movies, pretty much. Uh, and secondly, because this is the movie that I think taps starts to tap into who Ethan Hunt really is as a character mm-hmm. for, going forward. I think right, like it, it's it's. you know how much they thought this would play out in later movies i'm not sure but this is the movie where his kind of like central emotional baggage happens right and and they really use it like that's the thing is like they're using every part of the animal with this movie right Like, like like they're not wasting anything in terms of constantly making that his like his hang up his motivation right his like his mystery with other characters of like oh who's ethan hunt like oh he had a wife like right um and just giving that character depth like it all happens in this movie right and and it also is like a really good like spies can't have personal lives which you know by now we've seen in countless movies probably including james bond movies but like this movie really put it in focus and i feel like just did a really good job telling that story to be because i was convinced that julia and ethan were meant to like they were that they should be like i wanted them to be together right which in most spy thrillers if there is a loved one who gets like hostaged later or something like that it's not like we really know them that well you know what i mean like they're more like a means to an end as opposed to their own character and i really feel like they did a lot of work in this movie to get us invested in their relationship um you know knowing that something bad was going to happen obviously <laughs> right like i don't i don't think it's really doing a good job of hiding that it's very thinly thinly veiled that like all of this is going to, like it's too good to be true like all this is going to be a disaster later um but I don't know. I just feel like it's so central. This movie is so central to its character. I had to put it a little bit higher up. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I have no problem with that because I, I agree with everything that you're saying. And it's so, again, there was a, re- a reason why I was like, well, you should start with three. Cause like, this is, does sort of feel like where the franchise as it exists now really began. Uh, and it, and in, you know, start, it stopped feeling like there's just, yeah, a series of interconnected movies about spying with Tom Cruise in the in the center of it, and instead was like it's about like Ethan Hunt's a character who has like done things that carries forward across different movies, uh, and that's great, and I think that's really good. Uh, the only thing I will say as a potential drawback is like I never really remember any of the action scenes from this movie. Like you know, there's the thing on the bridge, um, and uh, that's literally like, and I get there's like the shootout at the end where you know we kind of see get confirmation of who's the who's the turncoat um, within the good guys, which isn't a super surprise. Like I think you know that's it's not like oh my god. Um, oh, sorry. A, a side note, I will say I'm, I want to point to the usual suspects, which is before Mission Impossible and oh, the sixth right. as a as a twist thing. Um, but you know, again, just to give some Chris McQuarrie props. Um, but yeah, I don't feel like you know there's there's like a huge like you know, big kind of action thing um, that's in this movie. Yeah, I mostly remember, because this is the one I've seen the longest ago. Longest ago. Yeah, it was a few months ago that I watched this one. But I, the mo- main thing I remember is, I remember being so surprised, pleasantly surprised by this, that Julia gets in on the action. 
yes. right? That like in Which a very believable way, because she's like terrified and confused, but also like I can do this. Like, okay, I have to do this. And then, you know, Ethan's giving her instructions, right? And being like, here's what you have to do, right? And she's like, ah, oh, like, am I gonna be able to you don't you don't know if she's gonna be able to do it, and then she could do it, mm-hmm. right? So I I that's the that's the action sequence that I remember the most from that movie, I think. That's fair. These these in general statement is these movies are so good at getting right up to the edge of being like, well, now Ethan Hunt's going to die. And you know he's not going to die because Tom Cruise <laughs> never – like unless you read in the news that Tom Cruise died making – doing a stunt making a Mission <laughs> yes. Impossible movie. Which his probably will, will happen someday. We need right. to mentally prepare ourselves yes. for that day. Let's get ready. Um, he's not going to die. But like I still am believing of like – they still have me suspending my disbelief of knowing the realities of this franchise of like, yeah, it's like she may not get that thing – out of his head or out of his nose or wherever, wherever it is uh, in that sequence. Um, and same is true for, for future movies uh, uh, on the list. But um, I, you know, I, I, I just want to cycle back. Um, the reason that I'm always contemplating, you know, Michelle Monaghan, who's amazing uh, as, uh, as Julia uh, and this, the other characters in the movie who were pretty all uniformly great um uh, in it um but the reason i keep thinking about putting it over the first one is philip seymour hoffman who's so incredible uh the the scene where uh he's in the bathroom because the wine's been spilled on him and then tom cruise is there in a philip seymour hoffman mask um and then philip seymour hoffman has to ask like ethan hunt being him like like trying to get the person to not to like explain why he's not talking because the voice is processing so we can have the voice modulator work and he's just really doing perfectly doing that like ethan hunt tom cruise like finger point of like, um and because because he's just he was he was amazing he was so good um and we were discussing this uh, earlier uh before before recording which was always a mistake to talk about these movies um but there's there's something so good that like philip seymour hoffman could do in a way that very few if anyone else could where like what he realizes like he's been captured by tom cruise he's just like what's your name like who like who do you care about like what because i'm you know i'm gonna have to i'm, I'm gonna hurt her uh, I'm gonna, and then you know, and then I'm gonna hurt you, and she's gonna have to watch. And it's like the way he describes it is like it's so chilling because he means it, but it also like is like just so exasperated of like, and the way I described it earlier was it just feels like he's just like you're gonna make me do work over the weekend, like I have to stay here and or I have to have like three more meetings. Right. Because you right. did you this are thing. making me do this, not I am yeah. the bad guy choosing to and do this. Like, ah, like I'm so like, but it also that it's like this like mild inconvenience to him of like I'm gonna have to find this person, I'm gonna have to hurt them, but I'm gonna have to hurt you. Um, and he's just he's he was so good at that. R.I.P. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, I think the best, still he's, the best villain. He's the opposite of mustache twirling, right? That, that's a criticism a lot of villains get when they're not nuanced enough or not complicated enough like oh they're just a mustache twirling villain he is a prime example of how you don't do that right you could do something Mm -hmm. else and yeah yeah okay so we've done the first trilogy quote unquote the first three which i think many people agree there's some people put one a little higher uh maybe they they creep it up um but we're getting this is the real meat and bones this is where things get tough i think like because this is the rest of them are just all one tier for me and it's jo- it's constant jostling. So I'm curious where you've landed. All right. So my number three is Ghost Protocol, which I loved when I watched it. I was like, this is so fun. Like, 
and they're you know they're all riffing off each other and you know this is the one where benji basically becomes a field agent right I love that this is like his kind of origin story, right? He's finally transitioning from just the computer guy to being in the field. And he keeps obsessing over, I need to wear, a, don't, shouldn't I wear a mask? Wouldn't this be a great occasion for me to wear a mask, right? And I love that running bit. There's so, yeah, there's so much. And also like, and I don't remember the actresses who plays Agent Carter. Um, You're looking oh, it up. Paula Patton. Paul Patton. She's amazing. She's like, I love mm -hmm. her. And like, I feel like not enough people talk about her when they talk about these movies. Um, but I feel like her versus Leah Sado, mm -hmm. the, the French assassin. And like that moment where she kicks her out the window, you're just like, whoa, mm -hmm. <laughs> you're like, you weren't supposed to do that. <laughs> um, and, and yeah. And like the, and Jeremy, Jeremy Renner, Right. I was like, oh, wow. Like people should stop making fun of Jeremy Renner. He is quite good in this movie. Um, I like the idea that he's like a really good agent who became an analyst and we meet him as an analyst. But then clearly when he's fighting, he's al like almost if not as good as Tom Cruise. <laughs> right. Because he's Jeremy Renner in Hawkeye. <laughs> right? Like um, so he's got the he's got the fight choreography chops. Um, but then he is also like very anxious and very nerdy. Like he's the wet blanket of the group. So it's like a really fun, just a really fun group dynamic that I loved. And, and like this one, I think has really good. So what, where mission impossible two, I feel like was gross in it's like female, female, like seduction tactics. This, I feel like, was a good example of a strong female character who's doing that as a part of her job, but it not in a way that made me feel gross. So, mm -hmm. like, so props, props to this movie for that. But, okay, so why, the question then is if I'm, if I like this movie so much and I had so much fun watching it, why is it number three? And I would say that's at the end of the day because of the villain. We were just talking about Philip Seymour Hoffman and, like, between Philip Seymour Hoffman and actor who i don't know who plays solomon lane like that's sean harris i think okay yeah, sean harris oh, that, solomon okay. lane. um i guess i don't know who that is uh or should i know who that is he plays solomon lane that's it okay <laughs> no he was also in the borgias and he was in prometheus okay oh i've seen prometheus huh he's okay. um, five, with the way you, the way you said his name made it like yeah, he's a guy you should know. That's what I thought. And I was like, oh, no, that was I don't more my is. confidence in that. I think I know this guy's name. And so I said it before I actually read it oh, on I see, my screen. So that wasn't supposed to be your confidence in knowing who Got he is. But it was my confidence in remembering his name. So in Ghost Protocol, we Hendrix, I believe, is the villain, right? Yes. He's trying to bomb the world. It's very similar to the motivations of Solomon Lane and other, like the apostles and all those people, right? Where they're like, the more the suffering, the more the peace. Right. He's like his thing is more like a Darwinian version of that, where he's like, we got to nuke the world so that we can grow stronger and evolve, basically, I think, if I'm getting that correct. But he's barely in the movie. And his final battle with Ethan is like he just falls down, essentially, <laughs> from what I remember, and then spends the rest of the movie like looking like half dead, looking at him being like as the clock is ticking, like, it, are we going to make it before the bomb detonates? So I just, he's a much more forgettable villain. 
Um, I didn't find him to be particularly interesting as a villain. So when, when I take that aspect of it, and I do think villain that these movies generally are better when they have more, at least scarier villains or more compelling villains. And, and so because of that, it just knocks it down a peg. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that's all fair given, uh, I, I will say like all of these uh, three remaining movies, each of them have been the number one movie for me uh, on my list uh, since all six movies have been out and they've just shifted. Uh, I also, after my most recent rewatches have ghost protocol at, at three for basically the same reasons that you said, like and I would, I would expand it to sort of like the last, not act, I guess, but the last yeah. sort of sequence, um, which I think is in Bangalore. The second act is the best. Uh, the first and second right? act because you've got yeah. the Buda- you got the Budapest prison escape pre oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. which is incredible um you have the uh I mean you have Tom Wilkinson uh a a great cameo who immediately gets shot in the head um gets to say disavowed of course um <laughs> the president has issued ghost protocol as as he's wont to do um and then he then he gets shot in the head uh then you have the Kremlin sequence which is awesome uh and then Burj Khalifa which I you know pound for pound maybe the best sequence in the whole series which is crazy because this is the third movie on both of our lists and it might have the best scene uh or sequence in the movie uh in the in the movies but uh you know it's it's incredible but then after that they run through the 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 sandstorm it just it it deflates a little bit and not to the point where it's like this is a bad movie um i i watch it I, i will throw this movie on like you know randomly and be like, I'm just going to have in the background. And then within 10 minutes, I'm just like, yes, I'm watching the whole thing. Also, Simon Pegg pretending to be a waiter with like a phantom limb is like, <laughs> it's so amazing. He, like, he grab, puts the diamonds in the sugar bowl. Um, I guess I shouldn't say phantom limb. I should say like decoy limb. Yeah, like He's a, got a like fake, a fake aesthetic limb. limb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that, that, that actually does get me every time. And he has to um, dab the diamonds. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so when he comes in. Uh, and I forget what it is that he's doing when he comes in after Tom Cruise is like swung his way back in from climbing the tallest building in the world as he actually did like an insane man and, and flying in and almost falling out. And Simon Pegg was just like, well, that was very complicated. Like what he just did was like, that was tough. What have you guys been up to? Like, it's a very easy <laughs> joke, but it lands, um, I, you know, I don't think enough because he, he's in the third movie, but he's not like that prominent. Uh, Simon Pegg really is just such a a, a weapon for uh, for these movies because he's very funny. Uh, he's he's the like I'm I'm in the field now, but I don't quite know what I'm doing. Um, but he is competent. Like when the time comes, he's he's right there. Um, but he is understandably like always scared and flustered, um, and he's great. And like he's such a good counterpoint to Luther as uh, you know, just in their in their uh, modes, I guess, or in their demeanors. In, in interacting with Ethan. Um, but yeah, uh, that's like the, the, so the third act is, a, is a little bit um, saggy, uh, you know, compared to the rest of the movie, but that's also because the first two acts are incredible. Um, I also but- feel like the, the, the sort of heel turns the wrong word, but the, the transition that Al- the Alec Baldwin character makes from antagonist to ally to me is a little clunky. Where, well, that's, like, in Rogue, that's in Rogue Nation, though. That's not wait. in this one. Yeah, but like... He's not in one, this one. But I guess what I'm... No, isn't he the one who's like... Oh, wait. He's not in this one at all? I, I, I was wondering when we would have the first... This problem? Because I watched them all together. Of, of, like, 
I cut the wrong wire. Um, um, it's it's uh, yeah, that's that's in Rogue Nation. That's okay. in the is in the fifth movie. All right, I'll there's say no the only the only you know we see Tom Wilkinson. It's the only sort of head. It's it's oh, Renner yeah. as the kind of like I'm the person who no, is but, to but, but control things and then isn't, and then. Oh, so I'm just I just am, I am just erasing Tom Wilkinson in my brain and replacing him with Alec Baldwin because yeah. I'm like isn't Alec Baldwin with Jeremy Renner? But that's in Rogue Nation. You're right. Yes, I mean I wasn't. I didn't think you were wrong. I Jeremy just... Renner's been been pulled in to explain what happened in Rogue in uh, Ghost Protocol. Got it. Got it. To right, a Senate yeah. committee and then to uh, you know right. has to deal with Alec Baldwin while everyone else is out in the field. Um. But, so I guess maybe my I would pivot to my small critique is that Tom Wilkinson's character is very forgettable. <laughs> forgettable. I mean, he I think he is on screen for like thirty two seconds. Like it's right. very small, but that's fair. It is it is forgettable. It's like oh, Tom Wilkinson's in this. How come I don't remember? Oh, he's dead. He's already dead. That's why I don't remember that he's in this movie. Um, so that's fair. So the revelation that Julia is still alive. They do kind of one, throw right? that. I don't mind that because I'm glad she's alive, but it is interesting that they are like, you know, in a way that makes sense in this movie where it's just like, we've got a few characters continuing what happened with his wife. And then, you know, it's this whole big reveal for Jeremy Renner that like, he's so guilty about it. And he's like, I got to yes. tell, like, tell Ethan. Cool. And then it's like, oh no, she's right over there. Um, she's like, hi, uh, <laughs> just waving from like a doc. Um, that's, you know, that that's, it is a little cheesy, but, uh, but you know. I did appreciate that they pulled off a, things were not as they seemed across two movies right because it's That's like you true. have to really appreciate the reveal of that with renner's character you have to re- kind of remember the events of number That's three true. yeah they, it's also you really a rare, appreciate it it's a rare defridging of a wife character. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, which you know, we've got to give some props to that. You know, t- <laughs> take her out, take her out of the fridge. She can. Uh, she doesn't have to be a motivator. We can um, let her thaw. Only, only in death. Um, so uh, two things, real quick. Uh, credit to Jeremy Renner for uh, joining a franchise very clearly to be like, I will take over this franchise now that the uh, aging main star is is going to leave. Uh, and then the aging main star was like, I'm actually not leaving. Uh, and so then it's like, okay, I guess immortal. in the next movie, I'll be kind of like in an office and I'll be talking to you and I'll only show up for a few scenes. And then the next movie, he's like, I'm in a bigger franchise. I can't, uh, I cannot appear in this movie. I don't have time. Uh, so he just sort of faded away, which is also somewhat similar, although n- not over so many movies to what uh, happened when he was supposed to replace Matt Damon as Jason Bourne and he was going to be the next Bourne. And then people were like, oh, that's we right. We don't like that. We're just bringing Matt Damon back. Um, and they brought Justice Matt Damon for back. Jeremy Renner. I mean, you know, let the snow melt. And, and then he got in a massive like snowplow accident. He's had just, a rough time. Just let it melt. Let it just... melt next time. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. This is, this is too much of a tangent, but I'll say it anyway. Um, I saw a thing of Jeremy Renner on a talk show and he's like, Paul Rudd sent me a fake cameo. Like I was a nobody who someone had hired. And so it's like a video of Paul Rudd with the cameo logo. He goes, Hey Jerry, heard you had a bit of an accident. And he goes, oh, this whole thing at the end of it is he just goes, how about next time? Just let the snow melt, huh? <laughs> All right, Jerry, I'll see you later. I hope you're feeling good. Uh, and it was very funny because Paul Rudd's very on brand for Paul Rudd. That's amazing. Um, uh. So uh, The other thing I'll say real quick is I agree with you that um, Kurt Hendricks, uh, who is the nuclear strategist, codenamed Cobalt, um, who is the evil guy here, but played by Michael Nyquist, who is also the main bad guy in the first John Wick movie. And he is very good in that. Oh. So, because uh, he, you know, he's the one who's just like, you know, has to react on the phone when he finds out that, like, yeah. 
you know, all the all the John Wick's coming for him. Um, and you know, he's not That's like right. he's a very good actor, and he's not bad in the movie. He's just really not given a lot to do, and he's not a strong, a super strong presence in comparison to the ones who came before and after. All right, so my number two, this was the hardest one for me. Okay, number one and two. I toggle back and forth. I think you just give them both. because A lot of times. But here's the thing. For the sake of, possibly for the sake of good podcasting, but also to be truer to my heart and not my head. I'm going to go Fallout for number two. Okay. Uh, it may actually be the better movie. I'm willing to concede that on the whole. Um and it's, I mean, and like, again, this is like 1A, like this is not really number two, I feel like. Sure. Um, but I thought that this movie had a lot, it like brings a lot of stuff together. It's kind of like a high wire act in what it's juggling, because not only does it have to introduce a new character in Henry Cavill, right? So we're switching up the team and a member of the team is now an antagonist rival turns out villain right so there's a lot going on there but also we bring back julia mm-hmm. and julia is in the, the final act right um and and so there's this whole thing where it's like we're bringing back the, the baggage from from mission impossible 3 right where he's like oh no once again like i failed to protect my wife and now we're all going to die and why like I couldn't even my attempt to break up with her to protect her didn't work right so this is all of that stuff right um and then and then it's like you know really like you mentioned this is like the end of another trilogy right so it really is landing the plane in a way that I thought was very satisfying um for this arc right and that and and just like yeah Solomon Lane is a very good villain and I feel like all of the characters kind of go through a lot in this movie. And so, yeah. So there's no really good reason. Well, should I just say, explain what my number one is and explain the reason? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it's only people who don't know the Mission Impossible movies don't know what your number one is now. Um, but sure. Well, I think I think say both because I'm with you in that, like, these are very sort of interchangeable. I have them in the reverse order of what you do. Wait, but which like, is sort of what I figured. I've had it the other way, like, you know, at, at times recently. Yeah. And so, I feel like as early as this morning, I probably had it the other way. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there's one person who's putting Rogue Nation at the top of my list. And it is Rebecca Ferguson. <laughs> as Il- Ilsa. She is so good in this movie and that's the mm-hmm. thing is like i guess yeah, that my one my one critique of fallout my one complaint if i were to file one is that her character while she's very prominent in the movie is somewhat underused right like because she's so amazing in rogue nation yeah. and like every the time fight, the fight scenes she's in are incredible like whatever jujitsu like what's the no that's it's not jujitsu it's yeah i guess it is it's jujitsu the, the thing where you take someone down with your legs like it's and like the tackling in the yeah i, I have love. a friend who does jujitsu he's love. probably tearing his hair out right now um sorry walter i am, <laughs> don't understand the sport that you do walter comment um, below on what um mixed martial art uh but yeah it feels like she feels like a ufc fighter right because she's yeah. like she's got a great she's got good ground game but she can fight and like she can punch and and 
and shoot and all that kind of, you know, like she's, she's very well-rounded. Um, but yeah, but so because she's, she blew me away, it really took me by surprise in Rogue Nation. That alone is putting it at the top for me, regardless okay. of whether or not the film as a whole stacks up to Fallout. I do think as, like as a, as a complete story, as like a script, Fallout is probably better than Rogue Nation. Um, because I just complained that Rogue Nation has this clunky. I mean, uh, I, I was going to say, does, does it change your rankings that you're, you're one of your worst parts of Ghost Protocol or is actually in Rogue Nation? Uh, does that yeah. does that affect the ranking at all? But it doesn't yeah, have it to because no, but it doesn't have to because that's the. I think uh, you know. I, I said this to you. Uh, I don't think I said it uh, on the episode yet because we were getting to the rankings. I think these three movies, um, which I'll, I'll sort of loosely call them a query trilogy. I don't think he even has co-writing credit he was like a, a you know, uncredited rewriter on ghost protocol but like i think he really pulled that story together and then he you know was directing and writing uh, the other two i think this is the best trilogy of the 2010s uh in in all of movies and you know i don't i don't really know what the competition would be i think the only one i would For have all considered trilogies? what of when all does- trilog- of all movie trilogies in the 2010s in that decade um, the only other one that I would consider is John Wick, but that one just clearly ends setting up the fourth one that it doesn't feel like a trilogy. It just feels like the first three of a four part of a, of a quadrilogy to use a made up word for the alien DVD set. Uh, but oh, that's, Okay. So Lord of the Rings is safe. I was like, what are you doing? It's the 2000s. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, you could talk about the Hobbit movies, but yeah, these are better than the Hobbit. Movies. Yeah. These are better than the Hobbit movies. Uh, I mean, the Dark Knight trilogy only has one installment here. I mean, uh, the, Iron Man trilogy. I mean, Iron Man trilogy starts in 2008. That also doesn't. Mm -hmm. There's no Marvel trilogy that I would say is better than from this this time period. No, I think you might be right. Um, uh, I mean, maybe from any time period. Like, is 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 there a Marvel trilogy better than this? I don't know. That's a whole other discussion. Um, The problem is like the the trilogies that you think might be uh, have one movie that I think is not particularly good. Mm. Um, Like, except for maybe Guardians. That's the, I guess that's the one I would I would listen to, um, but anyway, uh, and as much as I wish I could say that it was the sequel trilogy for Star Wars uh, was my favorite trilogy of the decade. Again, there's one movie in the trilogy I don't particularly care for, so uh, Mission Impossible it is. Um, so yeah, I think the difference between Rogue Nation and uh, uh, Fallout, and I think even I, I do think they're looking at it analytically. Ghost Protocol has. That those weak elements that, that you discussed um, and I agreed with. But um, I think these two are, it's really just, it's almost like what's the last one you watched is like, which one are you going to connect with? Uh, I'm, I'm fully with you on, um, you know, Ilsa Faust. Anytime Ilsa Faust isn't on screen, the other characters should be asking, where's Ilsa? Um, because she's, uh, she's incredible. Uh, I have to be, I have to make sure I don't get put into horny jail on this podcast. Um, but I will just say it's possible no human being has ever looked better than she does in the opera house sequence. Um, with- that whole sequence in general is amazing. There's something yes. very Hitchcock about it yeah. in a way that I loved. Like when she's the one with the, the like bassoon gun, right? Or is that the other guy? I can't remember. No, the the you know it's the male assassin has like yeah oh, like, a, right. like it's like an alto saxophone gun or like a flute gun oh, of some sort. Yeah, it has flute um, keys, but I couldn't. I was like, what is that? Like, it's, yeah, because it's curved on the bottom, so it's not a flute. Which um, is great because Tom Cruise can't quite figure out how to fire it right away. Like he's <laughs> yes. trying to figure out like what to do, which is but good, when, again. Once they show the 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 musicians 
to going through security with their instruments. I was like, oh yeah, like when this is happening. <laughs> Here we go. Um, so yeah, I, the, like that whole sequence for me is probably my favorite of all time for the the again. So like the film as a yeah. whole maybe is not as good as Fallout, but I think like that sequence, Rebecca Ferguson as Ilsa in that sequence, mm-hmm. it's just such an amazing introduction to her character and like I don't know. It's amazing. I, I will say I, I regularly forget, maybe now because I'm saying it to you on a recording, I'll remember. I regularly forget she's already been in the movie. Like I in my mind, I'm like, well, that's like one of the greatest character introductions of all time. But she's been in the movie when he's captured and uh is being held prisoner and she ends up rescuing. I guess him. it's the introduction of her as of that level of a assassin. full blown assassin yeah we don't quite know what her deal is when we meet her in the opening scene but you're totally right you're totally i had just forgotten that um, I, I, well i forgot it too i always forget that like in my mind that, I, I think of that as that's a, a great, great introduction. introduction as well because it instantly first of all she instantly has chemistry with tom cruise it's amazing mm-hmm. where and, and it's like we don't know who she is she looks like she's about to torture him and then she helps him and let get away. And you're just like, who is this person? And why is she doing these things? It's like instantly lends a mystique with her, about her. Um, and she's like incredibly competent with fighting. So you're like, oh, she must be another agent. But like, why is she with these other agents? Why is she with the bad guy? But right. then she has a soft spot for Ethan, clearly, even though they just met. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah, in that scene when, sorry, this is a tangent, but in that scene when, Ethan is chained up and then he like basically does a crunch. Yeah. He shimmy crunches uh, his and then, and then flips. Him. Yeah. It's Insane. amazing. I was like, how is he doing that? Like, <laughs> another, yeah. Another thing where it's like anyone else and I would be like, I guess they did a weird like CGI thing. To, if it's like, I bet Tom Cruise could do that. No, he like, just I worked bet out Tom a Cruise lot. He did a spent, lot of sit-ups. Like, eight, yeah. He spent eight months working out to be able to do that one thing. Um, and, and, you know, proud, proud we all are, we all are of him for doing that. Uh, yeah, the, the scene where they, uh, get to Tom Hollander as the prime minister in order to get his information to unlock the, the secret box. Um, and it, which, which I, I would say to, uh, defend the movie that you put at number one from your, uh, slander of how bad Alec Baldwin is. Um, just kidding. That's not really what you said. Um, but that I do like, I, I understand where he's just like, these people are crazy. And I love that as we go on, there's always someone who's just like, this is insane. Like, this is wild that this is happening and this should not be allowed. Um, and so I appreciate that Alec Baldwin's doing that. And I like that he then shows up because he's like this guy is crazy is going to do something crazy and gets put in a situation where he ends up hearing that like oh actually what he's been talking about is real and isn't what it is and then there's a great mask reveal um after the like the whole big warning of you know ethan ethan hunt is the manifestation of destiny as referenced earlier uh in this recording um but uh, it's uh, it's excellent and then you know the the mask stuff always uh, always works for me. Uh, I don't know why it's so basic and just so there's something primal about just like, oh, I'm not actually that person. Like rip, like off comes the mask. I, I love it. Uh, and yeah, that sequence is great. And then it ending with, I mean, there is a fight sequence, but like so much of the ending is just like three people sitting around a table with like Benji with the bomb strapped to him. Mm. Uh, and then there's the running and fighting and they trap him in the 
the glass cage, glass box of emotion, um, and and push him over uh, and, and send him away. Uh, great, like is is just it is just really it's good. just great, great spy versus spy stuff because it's like there are times when Ethan and Ilsa are working together. There are times when they're working against each other, and it's like so layered and complicated, right? Because they they both the two you know the two actors have to play. You know, we are enemies, but we also like each other, but not in like a kitschy kind of like cat and mouse way. You know what I mean? Like they have to do it in a way where it's like, oh, I really wish we weren't serving different people. <laughs> like, right. Um, and yeah. And then when she when she <laughs> great Bing Rings moment when she's like she, when they're she's delivering the message, I think, in an airport or something like that. And she's like, you have three options. And the third option is, or you could come away with me. And then Bing Rams just goes, oh boy. <laughs> so yeah. good. Which, and it's also a great setup for like when like Bing Rams gets like a real little like emotional scene in, in, Fallout, in Fallout where he's just yeah. like, he, he's only shown a lot of concern and care for like two women. Uh, and, uh, you know, like gets like, is really into that. And that feels like a, a clear line can be drawn from that too. Um, to there, even though, again, as mentioned earlier, I don't know if I buy that Rebecca Ferguson is like, I am in love with you, Ethan Hunt. Uh, it just feels more just like we mutually respect each other and we could be like, maybe we would be happy because we have this this shared experience. Whereas Vanessa Redgrave and Vanessa Kirby right. I mean, are both like, I actually- They have a deeper bond. We would have- It's less primal. Like, a good time with each other. Um, <laughs> which is it's just interesting because I feel like you know, weird part of his weird transition into like superhero action star, and this is also just maybe the, the a, a shift in blockbuster filmmaking is how like in immensely sexless Ethan Hunt is. Like, I never feel like he never seems like a horny man or like he's looking to score. He's just like he's about the job and he does stuff, and he will like occasionally fall in like deep, deep respect with a woman and want to spend time with them, and that's it. Like, I don't even with Julia, I don't feel like he's just like. But God. that kind of tracks, right? Because it, yeah. if from the events of the third movie and what happens and how he kind of has to cut that tie, right? Especially when we learn the backstory of what happened. Because I feel like we learn more in Fallout when when Luther's explaining what happened, right? That they, that they, because the piece of like, well, they did get away for a while, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that I feel like was not explicitly said in any of the past movies, right? Um, so, so that piece of it of like, that he had to kind of turn that part of his brain off to do be able to, to yeah. continue saving the world kind of makes sense. It does. And, and it's nice that like, it means that the end of mission impossible three isn't like they leave on their honeymoon and immediately break up. It's just like, no, no, they really did try. They got married and they, they gave it a shot for a little while. And then, you know, the fact that we see him in a prison in the, in the beginning of the next movie is not like an immediate line from here to there. Uh, that they, they they had some time together, uh, which is nice. Um, so, you know, just to uh, add on to what you were saying, uh, it's it's all very close. I do I do have Fallout slightly above. I just it's just like it's just hit after hit after hit, and like it's in a way it's crazy that like they just add more plates to spin in uh, in the story because they're bringing back uh, Julia uh, from you know, from his ex-wife, they're bringing back Ilsa, um, who, you know, wasn't necessarily, you know, at the end of the Rogue Nation, it's like, you're free, you can go, and she leaves. 
Um, and you know, no guarantee they would bring her back. They're bringing back um, Solomon Lane, and like, he suddenly is the main bad guy again. Um, it's uh, uh, you know they, they do all that. Plus, they have Henry Cavill. Plus, they have Angela Bassett, um, and like, all, and they have Vanessa Kirby as the uh, uh, the weapons dealer. Uh, who's great and her brother who's also great even though he doesn't like say a lot he just looks like menacing but also kind of dumb uh which is is perfect for what like the role right, and ethan 100 percent identifies that and uses that against yes and it, the white like, the yeah. white widow character right to be like yeah your brother huh and she's like and, yeah i know <laughs> family what can you do yeah, yeah. um and and you know baldwin getting in the mix uh that whole sequence is incredible, the way they trap uh, Henry Cavill. And then just, I mean, there's the jumping out of the high altitude plane, uh, which is an unbelievable sequence um, of, of stunts. Uh, the, the Paris chase, uh, the, the Paris like prison rescue as well, but then the, the subsequent chase. Uh, and then every, like, the movie's just kind of like trucking along and you're just like, wow, this is really good. And then it's like, oh, we're also going to have this insane helicopter uh, combat sequence. I believe you texted me like it became Top Gun. Uh, like it just, it turned into an aerial battle. Um, while there's also like a great kind of classic bomb diffusion with like the rest of the characters, um, like trying to hunt down and and diffuse this bomb, but also hand-to-hand fighting. You know, it builds this crescendo. I feel like it works. Uh, it works so well. We're splitting hairs. Um, but I, I do have to put this one slightly above. And is this because inevitably I watch it after Rogue Nation? And so then it's the most recent of these that I've watched. So it, it you know pushes it up a little bit higher, maybe. Um, but uh, they're so good. It's just what good movies, what 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 joys to uh, to take in in a, a you know in, in a cinema or in a, in a home viewing. Uh, highly recommend seeing it in a giant IMAX theater. Uh, in a furniture store if you have the opportunity to do so yeah i watched all of these on small screens <laughs> this week and i felt it i was like oh like it would be really nice to have seen this in a well, big good, theater good news you'll see the next one on a big screen yes in, so yeah 24 hours uh one last thing i want to say about uh which one am i looking at here this is actually rogue nation um which i didn't realize until while we were talking so uh early in rogue nation he goes to the record store in london uh, where to get like a message, but the message is really from the syndicate. Uh, and then the the like young woman who uh, again was a little flirty with Tom Cruise um, uh, gets killed by Solomon Lane. We find out later it's Solomon Lane. Um, that's Tally Lintra from the Last Jedi. I didn't know that until oh. just now. Um, another character that is uh, brutally murdered early in a movie. Whoops! Um, I guess that's her thing. I mean. I loved their their passcode conversation. Yeah. Where they never have I heard anyone speak about Thelonious Milk and John Coltrane with such conviction, right? And like I, I, I bought it. I bought it and and to to bring out to bring back uh, uh to bring it back to Fallout cuz that's my number one at the end. The whole extended opening it feels like it's a very long time. I don't know exactly how long it is until we get to the opening credits, but it's like they there's like multiple things happen. They lose these weapons. They 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 kidnap um, this guy. They, they make it seem like three nuclear bombs have gone off, and they they hang on to that just long enough that I'm like, wow. I guess the movie's called Fallout. I guess they really are gonna have it. This is like some of all fears. They're just gonna have it that nuclear bombs went off, and we'll see what happens. And then. 
the walls fall down. Wolf Blitzer uh, comes out and rips his face <laughs> off. Like... Um, and uh, just, uh, I think Ghost Protocol, because it literally is Tom Cruise saying, like, the fuse is the best transition to the credits, but Fallout is a close second. Where it's, mm. like, it's over when, when I say it's over. Whatever, whatever <laughs> cheesy thing that he says that, like, gets you really pumped and then the music starts. And you're just ready to go because these movies, these movies rule. That's the other thing I'll say is that the use of the original theme is very, always very smartly employed. Like it's mm-hmm. always exactly at the right moment to amp things up or to punctuate a scene or something. You know what I mean? Like it's not just kind of like they're not just playing it constantly. I feel like it's very, it would, for me, I would think that it would be very easy to overuse the theme because it's so iconic. Mm-hmm. And they're like, remember, this is a Mission Impossible movie, right? I can definitely, in, in lesser hands, I feel like that that sort of thing could easily happen. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But also a franchise that throughout has been very good about, you know, in the sort of classic John Williams score mold, like holding back on music. Um, and I'll, I'll point especially across the eras uh, of the, the Langley hanging from the ceiling scene in the first movie you know, is all about the silence. The decibel can't get over a certain level. Incredibly quiet scene for like five or six minutes um, with, with very little sound uh, or, or, you know, if there's sound, it's like cutting to outside the room for like comedic effect and then coming back. Uh, and then when he's um, in Rogue Nation, when he's in the underwater tank to get to put in the profile. So Benji can get to the like whatever safety deposit box um, thing. Uh, that's also a very good uh, job of like, there's moments where like a score could be like, oh no, like he's been knocked away or oh no, he dropped the thing or he's running out of oxygen. And instead they're just like, nope, like it's underwater. We're just going to hear the sort of gurgle of water and bubbles of his oxygen coming out. And it's, it's super effective. So it's good. It's almost like it's a movie that should have at least gotten a sound nomination at some point. Yeah, that's um, fair. It's, it's Oscar history. That's a good segue because I think I did want to do the quick Oscars watch. There's not much to to report, unfortunately, uh, because we're watching. I we're scoured the much. internet. I was like, really? Like this this movie's never gotten like a none of them. I don't know. Like I guess it wouldn't get visual effects because it's using practical most of the time. But this like, is. We need a stunt category or a choreography category that is for both action and like musical choreography artists. Um, that's where I think this movie would have gotten nominations, if not right. wins, every year. Right. It's a very similar thing to like the conversation we had when we reviewed John Wick 4 of like, there's a lot of opportunity to award this movie. We just, the structure of the Oscars is not really set up to be friendly to, to movies like this. Um but that said, like Tom Cruise, and so then that's interesting because Tom Cruise on his own has gotten four nominations, right? You mentioned, and these are all movies that we've mentioned, I think. Born on the Fourth of July in 1990, Jerry Maguire in 1997, Magnolia in 2000. And then he has a producer credit, like best, the, so best picture, the best picture nomination for Top Gun Maverick last year counts as a nomination for him, right? Because he would have won the Oscar as a producer. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know he he's done okay but as you mentioned most of these nominations are for movies like if we take out top gun then all of these movies are for kind of more like traditional oscar Beatty kind of roles right which mm-hmm. he doesn't do anymore so it's like this question of right. will tom cruise ever win an oscar we were just here with harrison ford last time <laughs> it- 
It does, yeah. And it's interesting because there's there a while when he was producing movies for other people. Like now he seems to only produce movies that he is starring in, which again, I think speaks to the sort of post Katie Holmes Scientology versus psychiatry uh, uh, tussles of the mid 2000s. He, he's really sort of closed off his his world away from you know, appearing, he, uh, you know, he was in like Rock of Ages, like that musical. Um, I think that's oh, the he last was great movie. in that. Yeah. I don't that, think that's that was... a popular opinion, but that... well, <laughs> I, enjoyed I, that I remember movie people liking it. Um, and, and again, he had like the Tropic Thunder thing, but like he's, yeah, he's no longer working with auteurs. He works with his guys and he produces movies that are just movies he's going to be in, um, which, you know, it, it felt like Top Gun Maverick might've been the best shot. People were, you know, there was that fifth slot in best actor that ended up um, being the, that guy from that movie that I didn't see <laughs> um, uh, uh, about the man and his daughter. And I don't remember the name Bre- of the movie. Wait, the whale or the actor. No, no not the whale. Brendan, it was the, the fifth Paul Mescal. Is that his name? Oh, after son. Yeah. After son. There we go. Yeah. Um, that uh, uh, apologies to Paul Mescal, who uh, I've only heard incredible things about that movie. Um, but you know, but it was like, there were the four actors that were like, well, these are definitely getting nominated. And then the fifth slot was like open. And it was like, could Tom Cruise get in if there's like a Top Gun momentum, uh, to reward this big financial hit and blockbuster. And, uh, you know, the answer to that was no. And um, Tom Cruise didn't even attend the Oscars last year. Well, he didn't get nominated. That's why. So I, yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's gonna, it's not looking good. No, um, which is, you know, again, is fine because, again, there's there are enough, you know, somewhat argue issues around Tom Cruise uh, that like, you know, I don't know, like maybe they're just like, we do remember when everyone gave a standing ovation to Roman Polanski and like maybe we don't want to have like someone who's involved in something that's a, a little suspect, um, which, again, maybe that's not fair to equate those. But uh, there's. You know, I, I I could see there being enough kind of uh, to hold right. back Reticence. when there needs to be, a, like, I think a lot of momentum to get him over the top, unless sure. he changes his approach and starts showing up in supporting roles in, you know, more auteur or, or you know, quiet, dramatic movies, which could be interesting. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, I could see him getting the sort of Henry Fonda on Golden Pond like old old man performance Oscar someday where he's like yeah. my grandfather in a movie. But like how old will he have to be to actually be willing to present himself as the old but man? But I, I feel like in a girl. recent press cycle, he's been quoted as saying that just like Harrison Ford with Indiana Jones, he just wants to keep playing this character. Sure. <laughs> until he's too old, until into his 80s, right? Which, I mean... Again, I, 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 you know, I was very skeptical that it would work with Indiana Jones, but I had a good time with that movie. And, you know, until until they make a Mission Impossible movie that I don't enjoy or I don't think he's able to sort of hold up his end of the bargain, I'll I'll be there and I'll I'll buy it. And maybe he'll be in his eighties before that happens. I still feel like he'll die doing a stunt though before before he gets to that yeah. point. That seems like where we're headed. Like he, his idea is like, I'm just going to do this until I can't anymore physically. Like, yeah. like either I die during a stunt or I injure myself enough that I can't do this anymore. Like right. 
Like he paralyzes himself, right? Or something. Something. It's going to be something um, dramatic like the, that. The, the, the Tom Cruise remake of Rear Window is what gets him his Oscar after he's paralyzed himself and he has to be in a wheelchair. I would watch that movie. I don't know. I mean. <laughs> that sounds great. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, who's, who says no? Uh, probably Tom Cruise because he doesn't want to be paralyzed. Well, uh, either that or he's in his old age. Maybe in a, maybe in a wheelchair, maybe not. You know, we don't want to be ableist. Sure. He he opens this. He's he's teaching a school for other mm-hmm. agents. Spy school. Oh sure, he's like Professor Xavier, but yeah. of of IMF. But then but then all the young hotshot spies are like trying to compete with each other and don't respect him, and then he earns their respect. It's Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, is what, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes. And then he gets in a jet plane, and even though he doesn't have to run and jump, he's just flying a jet plane. <laughs> and then they do the trench run. We're joking, uh, but like that's very possible that they make that. Right. These are make. all these are all maybe bad pitches, but they're also movies that I would see. They would get greenlit. They would. Um, most likely. Anyway, so I think this is a good transition to looking ahead to not just the future of the Mission Impossible franchise in general, but specifically anticipation for Dead Reckoning Part 1. Mission colon impossible dash dead reckoning part one. As as someone who teaches writing, the use of punctuation with these titles is a little unsettling. Yeah. It, it's, I, had it's, for, I had forgotten that there was a colon between mission and impossible. It's tough. Um it it's it's also I think the stylization for the second movie is MI colon two. Which means, even though written out, it's mission colon impossible two. The style ejection on the poster was mi colon two. Very strange. Um, let's get some. They need a style guide. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's get some form uh, put on this. Guys. Anyway, so have have you heard any early buzz for this movie? Like, I, I feel like it's mostly been positive that I've yes. seen. The, the I feel like there was one. I, I'm and I'm sort of actively avoiding reading too much about it. I mean. This is also coincides with like a shift in my social media consumption where moving away from Twitter means I don't really have the film news concentration on the other uh, methadone-like alternatives that I'm subscribed to uh, with, with Twitter, Twitter-like substances. Uh, so I don't get the sort of immediate thing and I'm not going to the sort of threads or um, – and I mean message board threads, not thread threads. Um, but uh, so on message boards and on like subreddits, I'm just not clicking on stuff about this. because I'm like, I'm seeing it. I don't want to know. I don't want to hear anything. Um, but I feel like there was an initial like burst of reactions. And the thing that was sent to me was someone being like, it's not very good. Like it's actually a big letdown um, from like my friends that, uh, are generally negative about a lot of things and just assume everything will be bad. So if they see one thing being like, oh, I guess this is going to be bad too. Like they've also, you know, they've also not going to do a good Mission Impossible movie. Great. Um, and, uh, and then they won't go see it, but, um, uh, but they shared that. And then I was like, well, that sucks. And I clicked on it cause it was, it was Twitter and I, I read it. And the first response was someone saying, didn't you also not like Top Gun Maverick? And the guy's response, the original author's response was just like, yeah, I thought that movie was overrated and overblown. And I'm like, oh, so I guess I don't care what you think. Like we just have very different opinions. Like all due respect, you're allowed to have your opinion, but I'm just, you know, I don't agree with that. And then every other thing that has come out uh, in both sort of like printed uh, critic 
reviews and again all sort of little social media blurbs are just like yeah it's great it's like do you like mission impossible movies it's like more of that and like they somehow it's bigger and it's somehow better like it's it just keeps going like the the people who think the trend is each movie's getting a little bit better this one also got a little bit better so good uh, lately we've been hearing a lot of this is only half of a movie right That's so we, greg and i sort of talked about that a little bit with spider-verse how people were like not prepared for it being part one. You know, people had that complaint about Dune. Mm-hmm. So this is very clearly Dead Reckoning part one. Yes. So there's a part two, Dead Reckoning part two down the line. Do you think that's going to hurt its reception at all? Right. Or I feel like I even heard somebody say like, maybe people aren't going to go see this because they're like part one. I'll just wait till both parts are out. That, to me, that's, a wild thing to choose to do but like maybe but it's also like do they know how movies work they're like they don't release part one again when part two comes out like in a theater um so i I think that to the degree that these movies have uh, like the cachet of you should go see in a theater because the big effects and stunts and tom cruise keeps yelling at me to go in a theater so i I should um that like yeah if you if you're waiting for part two you're not going to see part one in the theater Probably, unless you do like a marathon beforehand at like one one particular time, but um, may, maybe. But I, I think that we've sort of come back around. I think they're you know they they did the. I, I think it was Harry Potter. I'm I'm willing to be corrected. It was Deathly Hallows. The Deathly Hallows was, Part One and Two. Yeah, it was when it was like we're doing it Part One and Two, uh, and that's when all the like series that were based on books were just like, well, wait a minute, what? Like we can do Part One and Two. Like we can get an extra movie out of this. Um, and so it was like, you know, Twilight Part One and Two, and Hunger Games Part One and Two. Um, and then I think people got a little bit like, we're a little sick of Part One and Two. And then recently, it's been the shift from like oh, it's these movies, they're part one and two when they're announced. And then when they come out, it's like, no, no, this is Across the Spider-Verse. No, this is Infinity War. This is just Dune. And then the movie starts and they're like, ha it's part one, suckers. <laughs> and the people in the theater are like, what? Um, and then they're mad that it ends and there's not like, you know, really an ending. Um, so part of me is like, well, now that they've just like been open about it, mm-hmm. are people going to, our audience is going to be less annoyed that they're like i guess right. i knew it was a part they, one there's no what they're signing up for right um i i, I guess it's you know the, the, it, the, to me it just it sort of feels like john wick chapter three parabellum where it's just like this is just, you're just adding insanity to this title like i don't i don't care like just give me the thing that you do and i don't need to know what you're adding on but maybe I, I i'm i wouldn't expect people to turn away because it's part one i think they would be like it's tom cruise's mission impossible you know, I'm I'm there for it. Um, I have seen a lot of people who are breaking down. Uh, potentially, uh, this could be described as like taking hits of copium around Indiana Jones not being successful. Uh, who are very frustrated that it's like Indiana Jones is like a bomb and it's a huge flop, and then they're like, but it, it made the same amount of money that people are projecting Dead Reckoning to make in its first weekend. And like that movie is being talked of as like clearly a success. Like that's going to be a big hit, but like dead reckoning is supposed to make like 60, 65 million, which is like what indie made. Um, and they're just like, actually like maybe that means Indiana Jones is successful, um, which, you know, I, whatever, I don't know about all that, but um, you know, I do wonder, these are movies that make a lot of money. I wonder if it's like people like prognosticators and also like studio heads are like, Oh, like Top Gun Maverick money. Right. And I don't know if it will make that because 
it just isn't planes going really fast and like you know yay military uh, groups doing stuff it is like a spy movie and they've done six of these and we have a pretty good like track record of they're very successful but they're not that successful so i wonder if it makes like fallout ish money in you know a post-covid environment that would be really good could make a little less than fallout because people don't go to the theaters as often and then i wonder if, if folks would be like well that's a disappointment like it didn't it didn't get where we thought it would go because mm-hmm. it was it wasn't at Maverick levels. And then start being like, it's because of the part one. Or Maverick also because- had a very unique situation where it had endurance at the theater, right? Like it like word of mouth made it get a second and third and fourth wind where people That's just kind of kept going to see it. And then when it hit streaming, the same thing happened. So mm-hmm. I don't yeah, I don't know what would what it would take to replicate that for this movie. Um but that'll be interesting to see. But yeah, it's interesting that the, the discourse is all relative to like, well, compared to what are your expectations of what success, what's your definition of the success and how does that change the way that you assess how something does? Right. And it's also, I think everyone is still trying to figure out the, uh, you know, what the landscape really is post COVID, how this all works. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the numbers to see the legs on uh on these movies i mean they've got pretty good they got pretty good legs they go they go for a little while they're they seem to be like making a good amount of money over the course of like a month oh that's good um in in these these earlier these earlier movies um but is there anything that we know about what the story of this movie is supposed to be or like what it, are we starting fresh? Like, cause you mentioned that fallout was the end of a trilogy. So yeah. is this just like starting a totally new story? Is there, a, do you think there's going to be any carryover from what we're talking about? Well, I mean, what I know from hearing about it and also like seeing the trailers is the character of Kitridge, uh, who is the, uh, I guess he's the director. I didn't know if I realized this. He's the director of the IMF in the first movie. And he's the one who's like, we've been looking oh. for a mole. We've been looking for a mole. And like this basically, you know, like, this was a mole hunt. And he's like, yep. And you're the only one alive. So guess what? Like, you're probably the mole. I'm chasing you for the whole movie. He's like, he's the he's one the in the old trailer, guy in the trailer. In the trailer who's oh. just sort of like, you need to make a choice, Mr. Hunt. So he's back. And obviously, like Simon Pegg is back. Uh, 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 Ving Rames is back. Rebecca Ferguson has an eye patch, which I mean... Don't get me started. Um, but in the trailer, she's got an eye patch. Uh, uh, looks great. And uh, so, you know, I think there will be that. I believe, though, is it the White Widow? Is that Vanessa Kirby's character? Yeah, it's Vanessa character? Kirby's character. I think she's back, um, like just listed in oh, the cast. So lots of people. In the cast. So a lot of people are back. In ter- I, don't, I don't know what's happening in terms of the story. Uh, there's obviously a few new faces. Right. Um, Haley Atwell is the Hayley most Atwell's notable the, one. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know, like, is Angela Bassett going to be there? Like, because she was, you know, the not the head of the IMF, but she was the director of the CIA. She seemed like the logical replacement for Alec Baldwin to me. Right. Well, or unless Renner comes back. But I haven't seen Renner in anything. But, like, Renner coming back and being like, I'm the head of the IMF now. That would be fun. Would make a lot of sense. Um, right. And, and it would be he's great. Done, he's done his Hawkeye, basically. Yeah. And it, it would have been know, pre, so. you know, pre-plow. That like, you know, when they filmed this, they filmed it a while ago. So, um, you know, he would have been available. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm, you know, I've watched the trailers of which, I mean, 
they started showing a trailer with no sound from the no sort of actual sound from the movie like before Top Gun, which you know is a almost a year and a half before it came out. Uh, and uh, you know, and I've watched the other trailers since then, but I don't I don't know what's actually going to happen in this movie apart from a vague idea of some of the major stunt set pieces from just like the flashes they've shown. Uh, but yeah, I bet it's kind of going to be nonsense and it's going to be super fun. And uh, you know, uh, Ethan's going to have to put some people uh, in danger and then he's going to have to save them. And then uh, he's probably going to win in the end, although it's a part one. So maybe he won't win in the end. Right. And it'll be left where it's like, Oh no, you didn't win. Now what? And then we'll get away to couple. The chips years. are down. Well, the chips have to be down so that he can come back. It's true. Well, I now am like way more excited for this movie than I was mere days ago. So, I want to thank you and Greg for really nudging me in that direction. Well, I'm, uh, I'm glad. That, I'm glad that you uh, took the nudge, and I'm glad that you ended up liking it. Anytime there's any sort of nudge bordering on harassment and coercion to watch something it is very easy to then have it backfire and even if it's something that someone might like they might be like i don't know like whatever um but oh yeah i'm glad you liked it i think these are just really fun and you know uh, they're not i mean they're not complicated i guess um and they just they hit like cinema fan pleasure buttons that not everyone has i guess but i, I think if you if you have them they're just they're right there right and it's certainly if someone's still listening that is true for them as well <laughs> i mean we're, yeah we're two hours into the second recording that we have to stitch to the first recording that was an unknown amount of time before <laughs> the audio crapped out so this God might be knows. our longest recording ever i'm not sure i'll have to go it's back possible. And look. it's possible it'll be longer than uh dune part two which uh, they just said was going to be more than three hours long what um that's i, I saw didn't know that, that. Saw oh that we today. skipped we, movie news we did skip movie news but now wait, this is the this is the the good stuff for the people who waited all the way through you you maniacs uh dune part two is three hours long there's a napoleon trailer uh it looks really good um and uh this is this is old news uh very old news but on the fourth of july i went to a new rep movie house uh called vidiots in uh, eagle rock to watch jaws which is a masterpiece and just absolutely plays like gangbusters in a in a room full oh, of two hundred and fifty wow. people. So uh, I, I recommend uh, I recommend that uh, it's also the only the only good movie for the Fourth of July. Uh, not the only good movie. It's the it, there's no movie better for the Fourth of July. So um, next year you you all have uh, three hundred and uh, fifty nine days uh, to get make ready arrangements to go, see, to go see Jaws. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Riti. I think this was like a very, as usual, a very thorough and fun conversation. Where can folks find you? Or do you want to just plug our fancy new Instagram yeah, account? Check out, check out. Yeah, don't look for me. I don't do anything. Check out our new uh, Instagram account, which is, uh, I got to double check and look at the account. Um, it is the long take review, all one word on Instagram. Um, also uh, on threads because uh, I uh, like in a, in a, what could be very lucky or very unlucky, depending on how all this unfolds. I was like, I'll start an Instagram account. And I started it. And then 12 hours later, it was like threads is launching. And uh, it was like, I guess I should sign up for threads. Everyone's doing it. So, uh, you know, there's there's a few there's a few things up there and uh as someone who is just like very averse to dealing with social media under my own name i feel much more 
likely to respond to anyone who has questions, feedback, thoughts, responses on our Instagram thing. And if you, Jen, if you want, this is, it should be off my conversation probably, but if you want the password to also be able to check the Instagram account, we can do that. I don't mean to Is that our- your way of being like, if you see something weird on the Instagram account, it's not Jen, it's me. <laughs> Well, I mean, look, yes, I, that, that's currently all, all like terrible Instagram, uh, um, captions are, are me, uh, over and under thinking at the same time, whatever I'll say on there. Um, but yeah, if it, if it normalizes, then, uh, Jen has, uh, taken the password and made it, um, and, and it started like doing the things you're supposed to do, like ask direct questions of your readers to try to increase engagement instead of just, <laughs> doing things like throwing out the cover to the theme song from the mission impossible done by the two guys from U2 that don't have nicknames, uh, which is how I set up Jen on her own account um, at sub on Instagram uh, uh, posted a, uh, a, a shot of each of the six movies and asked her, her readers, which one do you like? And I was just like, here's a CD single. That's it. That's all I had. And I, I hashtag mission impossible in U2. And that's it. Um, so, so there's a chance that Jen's going to take over the social media. But maybe um, your CD has our next mission. Should we choose to accept it? That will self destruct. I hope so. It does have, um, which I made. I also noted uh, two titles. It says CD two titles in the top left corner. I don't know what that means. That feels like a very it's CD code. single. It's thing. clearly code for something. Um, I, by the way, you were tagged as Larry Mullen Jr., um, the drummer for nice, nice. U2, and. I, I thought he was, he's the chiller, um, cooler person, um, whereas Adam Clayton's kind of a mess. So, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. You can find me, as PT said, at Sopchakshai, S-O-P-C-H-O-C-K-C-H-A-I on Instagram and Qui-Gon Jen on Letterboxd. Oh, and now, see, now I'm doing it. I'm going to add another thing and we're not ending it. Let's do it. If you post a review of a Mission Possible movie on Letterboxd right now, Something happens. Oh. oh, something happens. I can't. I don't want to spoil it. Okay, but your mission, listener, should you choose to accept it, so rewatch a Mission Impossible movie, post a new review on Letterbox, and just watch what happens. This podcast episode will self-destruct in three and a half hours when it's done unspurling. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care. listening you can follow the long take on substack at thelongtake.substack.com subscribe for free to receive reviews of films with oscar buzz as well as new films and series from pop franchises like star wars and marvel